everybody, and welcome to Movie Mumble, your monthly movie discussion podcast where four friends get together and talk about a movie. I'm your host, Scott Murray, and today I'm also your hapless John Favreau-type character who wishes we were making more money on this endeavor than we are. <laughs> I am joined today... Oh, shit, the shade. God damn. Sorry, I was muted. That was, holy shit. I'm trying, Scott. I'm trying. I got this stuff for now. I got this stuff written down, all right? I'm joined today by rumor broker for all things Marvel, Joel Lewis. Mr. Finger on the Pulse over here. My my hair is full of secrets. (laughs) I am joined by our musical kinpin, Tim Gerard, who controls all the music on our website. Or does he? <laughs> Hello. And it's it's a rumor. Our, it's a myth. <laughs> and by our comedian with the precision wit and jokes that land every time, Zeke Perez. Thank you. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping you'd have a quick joke to pile up for that, but that's okay. No. I've been to ambushed you. Sometimes uh, silence so, is the best joke. <laughs> uh, for those of you on failure, Sometimes oh, humility is the best joke. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Hey, look at this. Always on oh. point. Uh, for those of you just joining us for the first time, Movie Mumble is a monthly discussion podcast where we all take turns picking a movie, watching it, and then talking about it. There are no rules about the kind of film we pick. We can do new films or old films, foreign or domestic, animated or live action, a film we've seen a million times or never before. And we spoil everything we talk about. So if you're worried about that sort of thing, watch a film before listening to its podcast episode. But at the end of each episode, we'll announce what we're watching next month so that you can watch along with us if you'd like. The basic premise is that we get more out of the things we enjoy when we share them with people we also enjoy. So this month, I've actually forgotten. This is Zeke's pick, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Excellent. It was 50-50 on that. And Zeke brought us Daredevil. And of course, this is movie mumble, not TV talk, TV, whatever. <laughs> so we're not talking about the Netflix series. It's or, pronounced uh, motor mouth. <laughs> the, the five minutes of the Daredevil character in in another Marvel movie or something, right? We're talking about the 2003 Daredevil movie. You know the one. Uh, Zeke, do you want to start with, I guess, how you first encountered this film and why you chose to bring it this month and your plot summary? Sure, yeah. Um, so this is one that means a lot to me. Uh, Daredevil's my favorite superhero. But it's because of this movie that he's my favorite superhero. And we can kind of get into that. I know we're all superhero fans and we have different um, entry points to our favorite characters, right? You know, maybe you've read the comics and then you waited for the movie. Uh, Maybe you saw a movie or show or played a video game or whatever that got you into the comics is the case with me for this one. Um, So I'm excited to dig into all that. But yeah, so um, summer of 2023, I think when this came out or the year of 2023, right? You had Spider-Man in 2002. Um, you had Hulk in 2003, Daredevil in 2003. So just a big time to be seeing su- superhero movies uh, at the theater and being a fan of superheroes. Um, the X-Men films before that as well, right? That's true, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, and obviously 90s Batman and stuff and and uh, Batman the Animated Series. So I'll kind of start from there. I was big into superheroes. Um, I think before that, like early 2000s chunk, I was just a Batman guy, right? I think as a lot of us were, I had Batman birthday parties. Like I said, Batman, the animated series, the movies, toys, uh, just everything you can think of that was Batman, right? We wanted to be a part of it. Batman for Halloween, all that sort of stuff. 
Um, so that was kind of my base for a long time. And then saw Spider-Man and, and was blown away by 2002's uh, Spider-Man. And then went to the theaters to see this because I just caught up in the hype of all the superhero movies. And this one connected with me for a lot of reasons. Um, my, I, and I think I've shared it with, with, with you guys before in different contexts or whatever. But uh, my dad was a boxer. Um, so Matt Murdock's dad being a boxer was a cool sticking point for me. Um, you know, I have a vision impairment. I think that was something for me to see, you know, a, a blind character on TV. That, that, that was kind of cool. Um, uh, just, I don't know. And then just in, in how he's portrayed in this movie, right? Matt's a good kid. His dad's kind of like a tough guy, former boxer. And I was like, and Matt's not very physical at all. And I could kind of relate to that growing up. Um, so it was cool to see that kind of origin story for a superhero. Um, and, and kind of seeing a little bit of myself, I guess, or like imagining myself uh, in that sense on screen. Um, so really got, connected to it and hooked on it. And then uh, there was a local shop where I used to play Pokemon and stuff like that and find sports cards. Um, and they had a bunch of comics in the back. So after seeing these movies, kind of went and checked out the comic books, comic book boxes for the first time and found a bunch of random copies. I still have all of them of uh, Hulk and of Daredevil from just seeing the movies that summer and being like, you know what? Like, I want to learn more about them. Um, so picked up a few of each and then, um, yeah, not to just keep <laughs> rambling about this long history, because we'll get into more of it later. Um, it kind of kicked off my interest in this character and then kind of got to grow from there, read comics, and then got blessed with a Netflix series that did um, a lot of things better <laughs> than this movie did. I still love this movie a lot, but the Netflix series was a pretty great telling of the Daredevil story and a good on-screen portrayal and all that stuff. Um, but looking back on it, I, I really enjoyed this entry point and this origin story for Daredevil as a character uh, on the big screen and then for me. So, Excellent. Thank you. Um, do you want to also summarize the film? Or I don't know if Joel or Tim, if either of you are eager. Or, uh, well, I'm not eager. Have our <laughs> <laughs> sure, uh, I can go for it. Um, please. Yeah, Matt Murdock, his dad is a boxer. Uh, is throwing some fights for a guy who works for Kingpin. Um, and then Matt sees his dad confronting someone over uh, an unpaid debt and uh, is kind of shaking him down in the alley and flees that and uh, gets gets hit in the face with some radioactive material and uh, goes blind. And But in going blind, his other senses grow stronger to superhuman strength. And so that's, uh, that's very fun. Um, for him, he, he kind of grows <laughs> into his powers from there. Um, and it kind of just gets really quickly into the superhero side of things. And it, I do want to talk about the pacing of this movie because it's, it's a short movie and a lot happens in that short amount of time. You get, uh, you know, you get Kingpin intro, you get Bullseye intro, you get, um, Elektra intro, and he kind of just, you know, um, so yeah, Matt Murdock, Daredevil is, uh, avenging people. It's a very brutal film. He's just out there kicking ass and kicking people in the knees and throwing them on train tracks and all the fun stuff. And, uh, gets 
linked up with Electra, and Electra's dad is tied to Kingpin, and Kingpin's hiring Bullseye to put a hit on some folks, and it all gets tangled, and uh, everybody fights everybody, and, and some people die, and movie. Bill is old as time. <laughs> There's a playground scene as well. So, <laughs> Excellent. Mm-hmm. Thank you, sir. Should we move on to first impressions from the rest of the team? All right, well, then I'll start us off since everyone else is sort of staring at me. Um, <laughs> I actually really love this movie. I've never seen it before. Oh, wow. So, wow. it was my first time. I just, I again, I Another one of those films that is like, yeah, I'd see it, but I, it's in that enormous pile of, I'll see this if it comes along, but I haven't put in the effort to find it, right? So it turns out Sarah owns it, because if it still exists on DVD instead of Blu-ray these days, she probably bought it at a Walmart for $2. Um, she has a, an extremely impressive film collection. So we watched it on her DVD. It was great. I, you know, the thing I'd heard, of course, that this is a bad movie. And it it's not a great movie. It's rough. But it was a hell of a lot of fun, which is really all you can ever ask out of a comic book movie. It's very aggressively and unapologetically early 2000s mm-hmm. in all of its sensibilities, which is kind of a nostalgic you know, hit right in the nerves these days, which is great. I, I thought, once again, and I think this about a lot of films sometimes, everyone in the film really gave it their all, right? You don't yeah. get any kind of half-assed performance or poorly built set or what have you and a lot of films that might otherwise be terrible or weird or hokey really turn out better because those professionals you know act professionally and give it everything and i i loved it right i love ben affleck's weird little smirk he can always give people with that like feeling that he's looking at you but not that just fit the character perfectly um i really loved our reporter cypher right from the matrix right his little like he did that clarity digging around slimy reporter deal but like also conveyed this idea that he really had a had a principles he was standing for right that he wasn't just looking for money i don't know it just clicks like i got it i got the pieces they were putting together and they don't always come together gracefully but i smiled a lot i laughed a lot and the action was super cool so there you go I, I remember this one being like, for a while, it was one of the more hated superhero films where it was just like, oh, they're just trying to, you know, you know, everything's superheroes now. And I was just like, for a long time, like I was the only person who that I knew who liked this film because it was like, you know, yeah, it, it was it was good. And I mean, I mean, especially because like, I mean, I, you know, Spider-Man's my favorite. Spider-Man came out. I was just like, yes, perfect. But then, like, when this came out, it was like, okay, like, I don't love Daredevil. Like, I love Spider-Man. But, you know, yeah, like, let's check it out. And I feel like maybe that was part of it. Maybe, you know, like, it kind of matched. Like, I wasn't expecting to love it as much as Spider-Man, but I really liked it. And I was like, yeah, this this works, you know. And this was also the period when, like, I didn't like Ben Affleck at all. And I was like, he he's great, you know. Like, like this wasn't me kind of a fan of Ben Affleck going, okay, I'm going to justify how good he was because I like him. It's just like, I don't like him as an actor. Oh wait, then he did Matt Murdock and he fucking nailed it. So yes, good, you know, good for Ben Affleck, you know? Um, I think the, the only thing I think at the time was like, you know, Ooh, is it, is it kind of a little close to Spider-Man, you know, in terms of like, Oh, some guy swinging around the city, flipping around, you know? And I, I almost wonder if, that's where kind of some of the hate came from like, Oh, but Spider-Man looked so much better. And I think part of that was just like, number one, like I feel like Spider-Man as a character just looks, 
more gangly and awkward. So like when he's computer animated, you kind of, I feel like suspend your disbelief a little bit more about what he's able to do physically. Whereas if you see daredevil do similar things, you're like, Oh, but he's just a dude. Like he doesn't have these spider like powers. Um, so like, I, I don't know if that's kind of what got up people's asses, you know, cause I mean, I, I can see that I can see where it's like, yeah, like there are things, like you said, it does look a little bit of that era in terms of the effects, but it's like, Hey, I mean, that's, that's as good as things were back then, you know? Um, but yeah, like, I mean, I just, I remember like, I don't know even back then that I, that I caught like all the little Easter eggs either. Like when they're talking about the fighters, he won, like, like who is it? It was uh, Mac Bendis uh, uh, Miller, you know, and then he was fighting John Romita. Like, I think the John Romita one I caught because it was like, it was his full name, but I think even back then, like, I don't think I was big into Bendis yet. So like, I didn't know who Bendis was at that point. I definitely hadn't read Bendis's run on Daredevil at that point yet. So, you know, even, even missing all that little fan service, you know, I think, I, I think I even didn't understand why Kevin Smith was in it. I didn't, I didn't read Kevin Smith's run on Daredevil either at that point. So it was like, so yeah, this was me just kind of going into this being like, yeah, I know who Daredevil is. He's all right. And, and yeah, I thought it, I thought it was great. And I, I kind of, yeah, I felt like, you know, Joel, you did it early. Like, I, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Like, like, am I just an idiot? Like, why am I the only one who likes this movie? <laughs> like, like it was, it was good. I thought it was, you know, it wasn't, you know, I mean, again, it wasn't like, I feel like with Spider-Man, I mean, I don't know what the budgets were between the two, but I feel like they went all in on Spider-Man. And I feel like maybe there were some things in Daredevil where they were like, ah, we're not going to give you as big a budget because it's not Spider-Man. And maybe that's where some of the, the, the issues came in, but it's just like, whatever yeah. i can deal with a few like mediocre effects if like the story is great and the way they're tying it together and they're making him believable and you know to answer your question according to wikipedia mm-hmm. spider-man 2002 139 million dollar budget uh Daredevil 2003 78 million dollar budget oh wow okay oh wow and a, a, another note on that daredevils was going to be less but because spider-man did so well they upped daredevil's budget but kind of later in the game right they had already started to do things and then they're like oh shoot let's throw another like 20 million at it yeah um so like you said less to go around and 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 all that but yeah i mean i mean one of the one of the things i thought was great and maybe because this was like just an effect was like his sort of like echolocation stuff like i thought you know that was incredible you know like you know again this was before like uh um dark knight this was before you know tv daredevil and i mean i thought it, like it held up like watching it today like after having seen those two other films where they do that echolocate like it looks great you know and um yeah the only thing that i think were like when they were trying to make you know oh look this is actually daredevil flipping around it's like oh no that's obviously cgi um Another thing I thought was weird too, they kept doing this weird like slow-mo thing, which I feel like made it look weirder. And I think there were, there were times too, where it's like, Oh, like they're doing things that are a little too superhuman, you know, like maybe if they toned it down a little bit, it would have been like more, more palatable. I don't know. But that, and I hate that that's in my head. Every time I'm watching it, I'm like, why are people, why do people hate this so much? Why do they hate it? And it's just like, like, yeah, I want to just enjoy it and be like, yeah, I don't have to make excuses for it, you know, but it's like, you know, it's, and maybe, you know, 
thank God Green Lantern came along because I feel like that took all the, all the shade away from Daredevil and put it on that. And now people, you know, either, either you can enjoy Daredevil or you kind of forget about it, but it, you know, people aren't actively hating it that way, you know? So, so yeah, I think it's great. I love it. I love, I love, I mean, you know, again, yeah, it's not perfect. It has like little things, but it's like, you know what, if it, none of it like ruins it, like there are so many better things. Yeah. Like Scott, you said, like the performances, like they're all like, you know, it's it, it, it it's like they're taking it as seriously as any other role. They're not like, mm-hmm. oh, this is a, a comic book movie, you know, and kind of seeing like, I, you know, and I, I mean, obviously Ben Affleck and Jennifer Garner had great chemistry. Like that works really well. Um, I feel like the first time I saw it, like Colin Farrell's bullseye kind of like threw me off a little bit because like, you know, I was used to, I, I knew of him a little bit in the comic books. So that was kind of like, oh, this is a weird interpretation. But again, like once you kind of get over like what your expectation is, you're like, this is actually kind of a cool interpretation. Like this is a cool, like, you know, instead of having that weird mask with the bullseye, like the fact that he had, like, it wasn't even a tattoo. It was like engraved into his forehead. Like that, like, that's pretty badass. Like that was a cool, like way to interpret that into the character. Um, just like how manic he was, which I was like, yeah, if the best thing you're best at is murdering people, like that's going to fuck you up, you know, like you're going to become desensitized to that. So, you know, there were just so many, you know, of course, Michael Clark Duncan, like, holy shit, like, you know, I never would have like, I mean, there was no one that I thought of like, oh, this person should be Kingpin. But like after that, you know, and I mean, obviously, you know, Vincent D'Onofrio was great at it in the show too, but it was just like, like, oh man, like. Yeah, like perfect. I think I think they even had him in some of the Spider-Man animated series. They had him voice Kingpin when he was like, you know, in the animated version of him. And, you know, that was, I think, probably the early on, like, oh, look, we're kind of crossing over. Like, it's the same guy playing Kingpin. Um, but yeah, like everyone was just was so great. And it was just so, yeah, it was just perfect. And it's just like, I like there's nothing I would change about it. You know, I mean, well, you know, like I said, little things, but but nothing where it's like, oh, this is this is why this film didn't work. It's just like, like what? What is wrong with you people? <laughs> so yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of it. It's just like yeah, like I, I, it's, it kind of yeah, it makes me. I mean, I can understand if people didn't like it, if it wasn't their thing, but like the fact that people actively hated it, it's just like like shut up, like mm-hmm. why, like what? <laughs> I agree, and you reminded me my my example of actors giving it their all is my go to for that is um, Alec Guinness in Star Wars mm. because apparently. He did not believe in Star Wars at all. He thought it was this bizarre, you know, poor plastic costume thing. But you could never tell from watching, right? And of course, it became Star Wars. And man, if we'd had a lazy half-assed Obi-Wan Kenobi, right, <laughs> we wouldn't have. Started. So that's my go-to for that. And I couldn't remember yeah. it when I was talking before. So thank you. <laughs> you made it all quick. <laughs> Joel, what about you? As I was watching this movie leading up to the playground fight scene, I was writing, there's nothing wrong with this movie. There's nothing wrong with this movie. When I got to that scene, I wrote, there's nothing wrong with the two movies trapped inside this movie. I love everything about it. I, I love I love it for its timing. I don't remember watching it when it came out. I think I saw Spider-Man and I saw Hulk and I was like, eh? And then but it took me a while to be convinced to go see Iron Man. I saw Iron Man. like So I had kind of, I wasn't a big X-Men fan. I don't typically like teams. Daredevil kind of just seemed like it didn't really grab me. So the first time I watched it, the first time I remember watching it was maybe two or three years ago for the first time in my mind. And just thinking like, that is the best casting for Kingpin, period. Like I love D'Onofrio's performance. 
haunting, terrifying, imposing, great kind of ad, uh, agitation and anxiousness to that role. But, like, that's the kingpin. Clark Duncan is my kingpin. That dude is titanic in it. Like, he's so the, – the suits just pop off him. He's got that giant cane. He just – and he wears a ring, and, he, like, there's weight to it. You just – and when he hits you across the room, you believe it, you know? That that was so cool. And, th- I mean, it's – the little things, obviously, like, why are you fighting? And we could talk about that. Like, there's, there's an issue to discuss about, like – and there's the, the romantic subplot is not wasted or, or inaccurate. That's the thing. This, this book – this is so comic book accurate. It's startling. Like, even, like, tonally, when it starts, it's straight out of the pages of Frank Miller. It's that guy, that man without fear, that dark, dark take on it. It's brutal. It doesn't really shy away. And he, for being it, I think it's PG-13, right? So it's bloodless in a certain sense. But you still hear bones crunching. And Ben's choreo, the fights are brutal and hot. Like, they're using, it's not a whole lot of the, the, the kind of shaky cam, like, post-taken type photography it's flashy and it's zoomy and we're seeing certain augmented things with cgi but when it, it's it's baton on face that stuff hits really hard it's great like it's really well presented i i was really struck this time that it's just like this is straight out of frank miller's books like that this the the iconic the iconography of him draped over the cross like there's so many of these stills that are direct from the covers, and I just I don't know I, I I became a comic book collector after these films came out, and like after I would have watched it for the first time, I think so. It, it's been maybe seven or eight years since I had seen it for the first time. So like my appreciation and visual recognition of all of the little notes they were. I think Joe Casita is another uh, ref. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but that's another. Uh, daredevil artist i believe um and he did spider-man too like i think that's one of the goons that gets killed is they so like all the little nods and like ramita's light in the marquee his name was like well that's so obvious it hurts like it was great like and ben's great like you said zeke everybody is giving it a hundred even like jennifer gardner like i i think she gets a lot of flack for this and the subsequent film electra which i never saw i think she get has has more than Ben Affleck, she's really kind of, I think, bore the brunt of most. I mean, Coolio gets a little bit of shit, I think, for being cut out of the fucking movie. Uh, we can talk director's cut stuff and that. But just like, I, this is a great Electra. It, it was, I'm excited for her favorite scenes and thinking of things. Um, just like, she's great. And, and she's physical when she, she's doing that fight sequence to the song. We'll talk about it. It's great. But like, when she's working with the Psy knives that is a great sequence it's surprising it's compelling you can see that there's rage in her you can see the motivations like i i think everything's firelit and that soundtrack can we just for a moment appreciate it's it's 2003 there is oh, not yeah. a, the hope of this film the <laughs> optim the, the audacity <laughs> of that score oh, and yeah. that soundtrack i love it it's such a carefree time this is post 90s we're still happy we're still optimistic it's like post post modernism it's outstanding 
for that. I, the joy of it. And God bless it for being an hour and 48 minutes. Bring back the sub two hour movie. Bring back the sub two hour PG 13 movie. This is the epitome of like, this is our, like for Daredevil. This is the Batman forever. I know that's a convoluted issue. Tim and I will fight about it later at a later date. But like, I, I really enjoyed it the whole time. Like, and it was, there's another one where I was mad that I was taking notes. I just, I just want to sit back and watch this, but there's so much cool stuff that I want to talk about in it because it's so, like I said, it's so visually representative of that character and the iconic juxtapositions of him with the Catholicism, him in the darkness. Am I the bad guy? It just, it really like per capita for a minute, you're getting references like nothing else anymore. You know, I miss these. I miss ones like this. Ones that are hopeful. See, that's funny. Cause I, I think the runtime is its biggest problem more or less. You need I, the director's cut. <laughs> well, right. But I, and I guess the runtime and how much they tried to cram into it, right? They, I needed to do less at the time or make a move longer movie, not what they did. So it's funny to hear you up there and go, yeah, well, this was the perfect length, you know? But that's the thing. Even if you were confused or like, why is the tone changed? What, who's that? Why do they care? <laughs> it doesn't matter like, in five minutes. It's over in five minutes. Right. right. You're just like, oh, that was brisk. I could okay. go, I could have lunch now. Like, I'm not... <laughs> yeah. Brisk. <laughs> that's fair. Oh, man. That's. That playground scene is the perfect example of that because here we've got our character of the secret identity and the whole pretending to be, you know, fully blind instead of superpowered blind and, oh, meeting the woman. And then suddenly in the middle of the day, in the middle of the playground, they're whipping out the superhero training for in a meet front you. Of children. Children, like nobody's gonna believe them if they're like, Yeah, these two people are kung fu fighting in the park. Like, sure, they were, what but they're only sure they're five steps from the law office, they didn't go that far. The fucking uh coffee shop, they're not even that far from people. They took three yeah. steps around a corner. I mean, isn't it New York? Um, like, isn't stuff like that? Like, people are just unfazed by things like that. Like, oh, like people are fighting in the park, whatever. I guess somewhere like I need tai to be. Chi in the park. Is that what you're thinking? Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> New York kids are just like jaded, like same shit as always. Yeah. No aliens just, today. You just put up a sign asking for money, and you're instantly invisible. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> Better than the Fantastic Four. <laughs> uh. Zeke, tell us about the playground scene. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned that earlier. Yeah. Well, I want to do second first impressions real quick, um, just to just to wrap up. But yeah, I think it's a, you know. A lot of what you all said, um, but yeah, just it, it's it's great to be in a room with three other people who don't hate the movie. <laughs> like it, it sucks when you love a movie and then, especially one that like you find in your childhood, right? And and then it's critically panned or whatever. We're like, oh, this is the worst movie ever, and you're like, but I liked it though. Like it got me into so many things. Like I like this movie. What's wrong with it? Um, so it was great for me to go back and rewatch and like see it still hold up and still have fun with it. Um, Tim, to your point, it was great to go back and see all of those Easter eggs and Joel, to your point, like the visuals that look like, you know, they're from the comic covers. Like that was great too. Cause like I said, the first time I saw this, I didn't have any of that background. I didn't like, I knew the character from this and I didn't know the artists or the writers or, um, anyone at Marvel, but like, so it's great to go back and like, they're throwing little secrets in there, right? Like you get Ben Eric in there, you get, uh, um, I'm trying to think of just all of the little 
Easter eggs. I wrote a bunch down. Uh, bear with me. I mean, like a Stanley cameo is fun. You get uh, that's great. Like little, like a couple minutes in, he's talking about you know when he's training after he goes blind, and he's like, "I was the boy without fear." And I'm like, "Ah, that's that's fun, little <laughs> man with that." When when his dad's holding him up in the ring, and he has the little devil boxing robe on, he's got you know little costume nod there. Uh, Josie's bar during the trial they mentioned the rapist like being at Josie's bar and like that is just a, a hub for like Marvel crime. So to, to come back and hear all these little things, I'm like, I know what that is. That was a blast too. Um, and then I think the other thing on the second watch or the watch distant from my childhood and, and after seeing the series is to go back and kind of compare. And like, I think Charlie Cox is a great daredevil and he's amazing and I love him and I love that interpretation of him but like ben affleck was ben affleck was pretty great too um you know different electras like john favreau as foggy is is pretty fun and incredible um it's yeah i can go back and forth like tale of the tape like i want to develop a conspiracy theory about john favreau like we should invent (laughs) one right because like yeah he's been instrumental in the marvel cinematic universe so the fact that he's in this pre-cinematic universe movie, we need to like invent a plausible sounding conspiracy. Well, now he's he's show running Star Wars. That was his whole. He's like, I will take right. whatever job. <laughs> so he orchestrated the sale of Marvel to Disney and the sale of Star Wars to Disney, and he's placed in the Marvel universe just so he could make Star Wars. What's the movie he wrote? What's that movie with Vince Vaughn? That big one? What is that? I can't remember well, what it's called. Uh, Swingers, but then there's also Swingers. Me. Swingers. Oh, the, yeah. <laughs> that was what swingers <laughs> was all about <laughs> now i'm in baby yeah. <laughs> so money and you don't even know it <laughs> that's what he was talking about he was talking about disney now <laughs> so money they don't even know <laughs> like i'm gonna i'm gonna own that one day <laughs> yeah i want to see some scene with like like i know that now they're doing a bunch of like yeah like multiverse stuff obviously so i want to see something where like Ben Affleck shows up and sees Happy and is like foggy and he's like, What? No, my name is Happy. Like <laughs> Can we talk about have we have everybody seen the latest Spider-Man yet? Oh no, I still haven't. Okay. Tim hasn't seen it. Well, similarly, there was some character I was hoping to appear there and it didn't work out, but we'll talk to you about it later. <laughs> yeah. But there's, there's ever would have been a really nice touch. That would have <sighs> been great. Because Happy's in that movie a lot. You know, he's in all of the Spider-Man movies here and all the Iron Man. So that would have been a great opportunity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I did hear that, uh, or read I, in studying up and reading trivia, like I like to do, um, that like on set and working in this movie, Jan, John Favreau, like that's kind of where some of the initial talks for Iron Man kind of came up. Like they were like, hey, we're working in the Marvel, like we're digging into these comics, we're bringing these characters to screen and like started to float around Iron Man ideas. So MCU fans, you're welcome because Daredevil did that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's just fun to do the tale of, tale of the tape and kind of compare, like, I like this from this series, I like this from this movie. Um, but I think bottom line, there's enough to be enjoyed uh, in, in both. And as a Daredevil fan, I love uh, all of uh, both, both versions of them for that. Um, what was your question? <laughs> I was asking about the uh, uh, playground fight. Yeah. But yeah. Real, quick, real quick, I wanted to say, like, it was so refreshing to watch a movie where the dude is the dude is the hero before the cold open is over. Like he was fully yeah. formed. 
We didn't mm. have to explain mm-hmm. Kingpin. Kingpin was there. We didn't have to explain Bullseye. He's an assassin. We didn't yeah. have to explain any of these things. Oh. And we just did a, a quickie, like, there's a little, there's Batman influence in the origin and how it's shot mm. and the, the significance of the... That the, was one of the best parts of Batman v Superman. Batman's parents die in the opening credits in slow motion while the credits are on screen. It's like maybe 20 seconds at most because it's in slow motion. And they're like, done, he's Batman. Who cares? All right? I was Here's like, the Thank thing. you. I did not need to see this again. If I see those goddamn pearls one more time, <laughs> right? I'm going to lose my fucking mind. Uh, like, <laughs> fucking Matt, Matt Reeves, I'm calling you out right now. On this podcast, you'll never hear. If I see pearls, it's going to be, we're going to to see you have some, some hands. I will, fi- I will knife fight you. <laughs> That's my home address. <laughs> Hashtag Pete Holmes show. All right. Sorry. The playground fights. <laughs> I'll cut yeah. all of that out. <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah. It's, it's not great. Uh, it's, it's very goofy. Um, speaking of choreography, I mean, like, there, there's good choreography in this movie, right? And you do get some brutal fights and you get some brutal villains getting taken out or... Uh, you know, crime folks getting taken out. And then you get a lot of like goofy. It feels like they're walking step by step through it. Like some somebody will throw a punch and then somebody will throw their arm to block, but it's not very quick. It's like they're walking through, like doing the the practice run of it together. Um, I feel like you get a lot of that in this scene, and then you get also some of like the stunt work where it's like, why did she fly twenty feet in the air and and flip like that? And that doesn't look great. And then just children in the background looking goofy and doing goofy child actor things and just not making things better at all. It's not good. But seesaw. as long as the, yeah, the seesaw, right? Getting flipped in the, yeah. It, it, you can do fun things with the seesaw fight, but this did not, it did goofy things with the seesaw fight. It's a goofy ass scene. But as long as the Catwoman basketball scene exists, <laughs> this is the silver medal, the silver medal, Daredevil playground scene is the silver medal for goofiest <laughs> superhero fight weird scene catwoman basketball scene it's it's the worst basketball scene in cinematic history it's the worst superhero movie scene in cinematic history it's goofy and it doesn't belong so i don't want to hear anything about the daredevil playground scene as long as the catwoman basketball scene exists that's all that's that, those are my thoughts See, i love how very hot, yeah. hot hot take <laughs> And it's, they're both bad. Like I mean, they, they're at the podium together. Just one, I think, is worse. So, but it is a weird. It, it, yeah, it it changes tones, and it's it's there, and you're like, why are we doing this? I I, I get the fight bit right that they're both secretly really good at this sort of thing and like meeting each other, but also suspicious. Like mm-hmm. I see where they were going with that, but when it happens literally five minutes after they meet for the first time, she throws <laughs> a punch at a blind man because he grabbed her hand. It's like it's it's, oh, it's a little already. Here's the thing: the way they write Electra, that's the kind of shit she'd do, right? She would throw a punch at a blind man. That's that's not quite the characterization they went for. It. I think that's still like a little reminiscent of the earlier tone they established. But yeah, there's there's it 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 seems to ape the uh, rooftop meeting of Catwoman and Batman, or yeah, and Batman. That cat and yeah. mouse, pun intended. That idea of feeling each other out and discovering things about each other, and I mean, they're trying to do the the uh, uh, what is it, uh, star-crossed love or like a uh, uh, love triangle with 
the two men being different halves, right? They did this in Batman Forever. Like Chase Meridian wants Batman and Bruce Wayne. Like, so there is, that's what they're trying to establish. But when you do meet cute and then the fight meet cute and you don't change costumes between them, that's a problem. That should have been Electra the Vigilante meeting Daredevil the Vigilante for that fight. Um, it just, that, that seems like a strange, maybe it was like, okay, if, if to make it more stilted and more elementary, if you think you're sparring with somebody who's blind, Maybe you're trying not to, you're pulling your punches in that way, but you don't swing at them like you did in the first uh, uh, sequence if you're, you're babying him through that experience. So that, that's, that's my two cents on it. Like, I mean, my take on that was like, you know, I mean, I guess like I saw it through like a, a hyper-feminist lens. It's like, I don't care if you're blind, don't fucking grab me. You know, like yeah, I'm going to take fair. a swing at you, you know, like, fair. you know, that it's, and I mean, also she's been trained since she was five. So that shit gets programmed. I think, you know, it's a reaction. Mm-hmm. Like if you have this signal that you need to go on the defensive, like that's going to pop out, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, I, I think at that point it wasn't, this is a blind man who's trying to get my name. Like this is someone who's being aggressive and grabbing. Yeah, my wrist. Across the line. And it's like, so fuck this guy, you know? And I mean, luckily it turned cute and it all worked out for the best. And he was daredevil and he wasn't just like, you know, a blind guy with a broken nose at that point, you know, but like, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know. Like, I mean, I think it, it like, yes, it's silly and goofy, but like, I think one of the things I also found like redeeming about it was like, we get to see, and we saw a little bit in the, in the coffee shop too, of like the fun side of Matt Murdock, you know, that he's mm-hmm. kind of, it's kind of like that, that like Bruce Wayne thing. Right. Cause there's like, there's three people that he is. There's the character Bruce Wayne, he plays, there's Batman. And then there's what the fuck are you really, you know? Um, and I feel like there's a little bit of that with Daredevil, right? Cause when we see him like going to bed at night and he's just fucking sore and scarred and taking a bunch of pills and getting in his sensory deprivation tank, it's like, that's what his life is. But I feel like when he's out there as a lawyer, like that's kind of a costume too. Like he's got to pretend to be a lawyer who isn't also a vigilante and is sore, you know? So like, I think, you know, and I, I think that's something that they either, uh, again, I'm not as familiar with the comics, but I think that's something I remember reading that he used to like when he's in court, he'll use kind of him being blind to his advantage. And, and I think they did that in the director's cut, right? Isn't there something where he goes to sit down and he almost misses the chair, but then foggy pulls him into the chair. And it's like, he's doing that on purpose to get sympathy from the jurors, you know? Um, so like, you know, it, I feel like a lot of his life is an act, you know? And so I think it was like, it was fun to see him kind of like being that fun version of Matt Murdock that he, he pretends to be like, cause again, he's going to pretend that he's not actually vigilante, but also like a little bit of daredevil got to come out in that because he did get to kind of spar with her and kind of find, have like an equal on that in that sense. Um, so it was kind of like, I don't know. It was like, it was like you like seeing this kind of like in between, like the person between daredevil and Matt Murdock, who's maybe more really who he is than the two personas he's playing, you know? Um, and again, I think the choreography, yeah, like there's a lot of stuff bad about the choreography, but like the fact that, that, that it took place, I thought was kind of cool. Um, again, like, you know, it's like, if you were going to maybe do a, a, a reboot of that daredevil, like, yeah, like fix the choreography, but I don't, I don't think the fight has to be taken out completely. Like, I think it's, a. Uh, you know, it does, I think it moves the story forward, you know, like, you know, the, them, you know, them kind of interacting like that, that, you know, like you said, the cat and mouse thing, like the Batman and Catwoman, I think also 
part of the reason why it didn't happen with the two of them as Electra, you know, the, you know, with the size and Daredevil is because they were holding Daredevil back because, oh, she's going to think Daredevil killed her father. So I feel like if they had had an, if she had an interaction with Daredevil, she might be like, oh, well, wait a minute. Like, we're cool. Maybe you didn't actually kill my father. But I think they kept that interaction away so that when she sees that Daredevil killed, you know, that he had his, his billy club, like, oh, Daredevil killed my father. There was no question in her mind. Um so, so yeah, I think I think that's kind of why it played out the way it did. And again, it's it's not that it's not awkward the way it's done, but I think, yeah, I think it's like it's I think it's one of those things. Like, yeah, if we could go back and just like repolish that, or maybe like even just edit it, like cut some of it out, like leave the more plausible stuff in there. You know, yeah, stay away from the superhuman stuff of like flipping twenty feet, like all the wire work. Like, what about yeah, just just some kung fu, just some punches and blocks and things like that and kicks. Like, I feel like it could have been a more realistic fight that was more toned down so they weren't doing superhero stuff out in daylight in their in their civvies but like i think the the fight actually functioned pretty well for the story you know at least at least to me you know that's that's again like i kind of look past it like okay yes this fighting is goofy but it doesn't ruin the movie or even or even the scene you know like i think the fighting that they're doing you know and and you know and again yeah you get that sense at times that they're both holding back and then they're kind of doing going a little bit more and you know but um, just move yeah. it to an alley that's that's all i need like i <laughs> do the same that's the i love the wuxia wires work i think it works really well when he's taking out the bar right when he's doing those flips and using those to pivot points that's the motion of of frank miller's artwork like that's that's what i always imagine is this live strong dude flipping into frame and he hits you, and it's it's firmer than Spider-Man. Spider-Man could pop, 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 pop. It just feels like speed bag stuff. When Daredevil hits you, he's got all of his rage, all of his momentum, and he's using his body as a gymnast, very in tune with his surroundings. I believe the 20-foot jumps and stuff. Like, when you do the radioactive shit, give him the powers. I like that shit. I'm, I'm not above something that's, like, weird power-wise, and it just just put that in an alley instead of three steps away from the meat cute. Like then it's, then you kind of, you, you can reinforce that. Like, yeah, don't fucking touch me. You've followed me into this alley. And then it becomes, Oh, okay. We can, I don't know. I, they just wanted to do the seesaw thing. I don't, I don't know why. Well, I agree. I, I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't even know if you need to move it to the alley. Cause I think you can do fun stuff on a playground. I think a mix of what you all said, like, I think, you know, you tone it down just a tiny bit. So the seesaw doesn't, wire up 20 feet you know that's a fun little test of like just avoiding each other working around the objects using the objects um around you in the fight i think there are some fun ways to do that i agree and i I agree that it's great for the story it's good testing each other's powers and strengths and weaknesses and all that um and good for their chemistry too i think for me honestly it's the children's fault like the children just (laughs) cutting to them and they're cheering and that's awkward. And then the music doesn't help either. Like it just takes the tone, the children and the music take the tone a little too, a little too high. Like it's a good, it, but like a couple of minutes before, I think that's the, but a couple of minutes before you see daredevil break a man's spine on the side of the train tracks and let him get run over by a train and die. And then you go to this, like, it's just a very sudden shift for me. And if the children are just not there, it's a, it's a better shift. <laughs> it is less yeah. of an extreme shift. I don't hate the scene. It's just, 
too just too hate far children. Out of your yeah. Yeah. It's the children's so, fault. Zeke Perez, twenty twenty two. Put that on a bumper. Yeah. yeah. So that's what we do. Then we just go through and we just airbrush out all the kids, and then this seems perfect. You know, easy fix. You know, well, just George that's Lucas. Yeah, <laughs> we'll airbrush away all of our plot holes. <laughs> oh, one of the things I wanted to bring up before, because something you said, Joel, reminded me, and just before we forget, really quick, I thought it was really cool that um, I feel like they wanted to sort of differentiate him from Spider Man. So, like, whenever yes. they see him land, how his feet are always like together and he lands hard, like, like a person, like, not this like spider esque, you know, gangly kind of thing. It's like, <clears throat> like his feet hit the ground or roof as it usually is. So I thought that was really cool that they like, I feel like, yeah, like, yeah, we're not going to make him Spider-Man. Like this isn't what he does. And it just, yeah, it always added so much like impact and made it so much more visceral. Like it wasn't this fun, like, Oh, look, like even when he's hanging onto the cross, like I feel like Spider-Man will do similar poses, but again, it's like you, you're like the way you would picture a spider kind of hanging out on something. But with him, it's just like, there's this aspect of like holding on for dear life and just like, I am fucked up right now, you know? Um, and that's what, I, yeah, one of the things I, it, and I, you know, I probably helped them that they were trying to make that conscious distinction between Spider-Man. Like, you know, they have similarities, but we've got to focus on what's different. And I think that that nails it. Cause like I cringe every time he lands, you know, like, cause like his, you know, his feet are together. Like, I feel like, you know, uh, you know, that's part of why, like, I remember when I was younger and I used to jump down from stuff like, yeah, you bend your knees so that your body kind of sinks in and the impact isn't on your knees. Like when your feet hit the floor and it's like, every time he lands, it's like that his knees are barely bent. It's just like, he just stops dead. And it's like, Oh God, your knees hurt so bad. But like, yeah, I thought that was great. I thought it was like a great, um, you know, decision to make for the character and to kind of, you know, and, and it happens a lot too, because I noticed it and I just kept noticing it. It was just like, Oh God, be, please bend your knees a little more. Maybe do a little more, you know, do, do the, you know, do the, uh, the, the, you know, the hero landing thing. Like, you know, they talk about in Deadpool with the, you know, or like, like the black widow, it's like, do, do the hero landing, like land on, you know, two legs and one hand. So you're more evenly distributing your weight instead of just, you know, that made me think with, daredevil using the grappling hook part of his his um truncheon and swinging they're they're faced with a dilemma we don't want to look like spider-man because it's a dude in a red top to bottom red suit swinging through new york city right and the last guy we've seen use a grappling hook like that is batman and we've never seen him do that without the cape the cape makes a lot of that funky shit disappear you could just look Mm -hmm. like a bat and go away so I, when I see that, I see that there's there's more weight to the pendulum, right? Like he's he's kind of like it, it's got this kind of it's not gas powered, but that's the way I think of it. It's like uh, Batman's like uh, grappling hook. That kind of like it, it's less fluid and sinewy and like gliding through swing. It's latching on, getting some momentum built up like that. So watching. The, the rendering it has its issues, but when I'm watching it, I'm like, well, that makes sense that Daredevil would move through the city different. I mean, he's like head and shoulders taller than Peter is, right? Like he's he's a big dude. You know, plus, he's like a grown ass man too. Yeah. Like you know, Peter's a little kid, and he's like you know, got to be like in his thirties probably, right? About yeah. you know, so it's like yeah, like there's you know, and and I mean, obviously he has the scars and he's got the miles. So it's like, yeah, like this, he's not new at this. He's not, you know, oh, this is fun. And I'm, you know, enjoying this. It's like my body hurts. 
say like you especially feel that weight when he's like coming down in the church and yep. he's just like barely hanging on just like oh just like yeah. crashes Boom. like yeah like yep <laughs> yeah i love his costume yeah. i love it and not yeah. just even Great. in a weird way you know like like spider-man right toby mcguire that's a good costume there's something about it that doesn't quite feel real Mm. That moment in Spider-Man 2 where he's being carried back on the train and it very much looks like cloth is sort of jarring after the way in the first film it didn't look like real fabric. It looked like, I don't know, Spider-Man shiny CG sheen or something. You know, it just didn't, but it's fine. This one looked real and not rubbery or chunky or awkward or whatever. It just looked like, yeah, this is his suit and it it fits him, but it fits him in a way that looks cool and lets him do what he needs to do. I got a little embossing. Like I just, I, it was perfect. And I, every time we got a good look at it, I went, "Ah, oh, that's just, it's just such a good costume. <laughs> like, why bother with anything else?" Zeke, I just was thinking uh, with the cowl, it's got to be Kane. That is definitely a <laughs> WWE inspired cowl because that bridge of the nose cut. thing is cool. Like. I, I don't think I ever re- realized that the way the horns are integrated and how that helmet is sits different than any other like cowl we've ever seen before. Like it, I thought it was really interesting. It had it, it had its own personality. It, I mean, red leather jacket with the zipper and the DD. It, I great, outstanding. Like yeah. this, this too. This was like the the more stylish, like sleek, sexy X Men, right? Like. So they 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 took that kind of like we're all gonna wear jumpsuits. They're like, but let's make it hot, rod, red, and sexy. <laughs> like that's what they did. Right. I like this one. I like the the mask on this one. I think the best. I think, like you said, the cowl, the the horns, the eyes look really cool. Um, I think, and again, this is just my sheet of comparing the series to this. I do like kind of the duller tactical kind of one that they used in the series. Right. A little. This one's a little bit glossy, just glossy leather, a little brighter. But I love it, too, and I think it fits its era really well, and it's still just a great costume. See, it is glossy sometimes, but it's very matte at other times. Mm, that's true. Well, it's some sort of trick with the lighting. Well, maybe they mm-hmm. had two separate costumes, for all I know. But that's part of why I loved it so much. Uh-huh. Just the, yeah. It and it sort of gave the impression that he, could, yeah, that he could choose to be visible or mm. disappear, depending on where he positions himself in a room, you know? Yeah, I like that. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk a little more about... The, the overall plot, I guess. I know, Zeke, you, you mentioned you had something to say about the pacing, but I, it really feels to me like this is two or three movies crammed into a single script. That sort of sums everything up. You know, we get, they set up all the Kingpin stuff, and they could have ended with Bullseye's defeat and him being like, oh yeah, Fisk is Kingpin. And we set up, you know, Daredevil recovering and Kingpin, like, standing in his office laughing you know, like, oh, now this is going to be the big showdown, right? Kingpin is going to be Daredevil's big bad, and his whole focus is going to be him. But then they kept going and had us fight Kingpin anyway, right? They could have ended it, they could have stretched out the development of his relationship with Elektra, and ended it with a survival of Bullseye and Elektra's death, and his involvement becoming more personal again, right, with Kingpin for a second reason, but instead we kept going and he kills Bullseye, right? It, it, it's like every time we hit the point where I was like, oh, okay, everything here has come together. This is our character, the beginning of this major chapter in our character's life. They just kept going and resolved the next chapter and the next chapter and the next chapter. And, and then what you all mentioned before about the like, like Joel, you said, you know, we should have developed Elektra and Daredevil from both directions at once. And I liked what you said, Tim, about how maybe they couldn't for other reasons. I just 
it felt like they could have just stretched some of this stuff out, given it more room to breathe and more dialogue, and then just less and left themselves some content for later movies. Especially since that was apparently the plan. I guess I they had a sequel like... plan. They made the Electra movie, right? Right. I think they had the plans, but nobody had ever pulled it off, right? Batman and Superman were the ones that got sequels, right? No, like Spider-Man did, X-Men, but like, mm-hmm. th- this was like, I feel like it was an unknown quantity in a way where it was like, well, let's do everything in one, and then if we get a sequel, then we can we can play with it whatever we want, but like, at least let's let's put all of our effort into doing as much Daredevil in one movie. Because that's a, that you get all of that. And that's all integral. That's all comic book accurate. All of that stuff. I mean, depending on where you start reading, that's where Stick is involved. And Stick is his uh, teacher and trains him. He doesn't just randomly on rooftops figure out Kung Fu. <laughs> was, that, was Stick in that Frank Miller run? Is that, where, is that who created him? I thought so. Is that right? See? I think that sounds right. Yeah. 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 So that, I mean, that's the one thing they pulled back on. It was like, it was also nice to watch a Daredevil story that didn't have anything to do with the hand. That was the mm-hmm. thing that was really <laughs> kind of samey about, like, I love the Daredevil series, but it's like, can we get another fucking bad guy? Like, I am so sick of watching <laughs> these faceless ninjas. <laughs> what, a, what a problem to have. Less ninjas, please. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the things I think that feels good about Kingpin is that he has potential to be the source of a bunch of other villains, yeah. right? So the longer you leave him in place as the ultimate goal, the more variety you can get working your way up to him. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine the crossover with that Kingpin and Tobey Maguire Spider-Man? Like, how cool that would have been? Like, mm-hmm. fuck. <laughs> he was perfect. So I actually haven't seen the Daredevil series either, but, you know, we talked about Kingpin in Into the Spider-Verse, where he's yeah, literally the size of a building, right? Yeah. And I remember Such thinking, a great version too. "Man, animation's so great because you could never do this in person." And then I watched this and went, "Oh my yep. god, they did it!" <laughs> like, it's just, it really takes up the whole room. Time for a trivia fun fact. Um, so when they cast Michael Clark Duncan, he was 290 pounds, and then they asked him to add another 40 <laughs> to be Kingpin, and then he did, and he just got jacked. So he was 330 by the time they filmed. Six five three thirty, just and it shows. Like he takes that jacket off, and he's just this force, and he's just uh, yeah, I, always a good counter to Daredevil. God, his fucking arms are almost as like his forearms are, are upper arms almost as thick as they are long. <laughs> like it was like a square. <laughs> it's insane. Like I love that he he wears a suit like armor, right? His mm. kingpin, it's persona. But when it comes time to throw hands. Jacket comes off, he rolls up his sleeves, he's going to do the dirty work himself, and God. that's a great fight. My favorite oh. part about that fight is when he when he picks him up and like, oh, he's going to slam him on the desk. Into the ceiling! <laughs> I was like, Jesus Christ! Yeah. <laughs> that like, was the the strength it must shot. take to yeah. just hold a man and then throw him up against gravity with enough force that he smashes into the ceiling, and then just all of that down on the ground. I was like, God damn it. Yep. <laughs> I was expecting the the Bane backbreaker, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. on the desk, short bring down, and then yeah, and then boom! Oh, your eyes got quieter. <laughs> so good. And what you said earlier about how different Daredevil is from Spider-Man. Spider-Man's light and quick, and can you imagine the two of them fighting Fisk together? Yes. Oh my god. 
uh, you know, Spider-Man creating these openings for Daredevil to come in and land his blows that Kid Finn barely feels. So this is a good movie. What's wrong with people? Yeah. I, so I'll admit, I think maybe part of why, I, I mean, I liked it for it. But the thing is, as I know I've told you all before, I don't think I've said on air, I'm getting really tired of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Have been kind of tired of it for a few years. Not that the movies have become crap or anything. I just, they don't grab me on a personal level the way they do for some. And we started getting them more and more and more frequently. And they've got more and more and more similar. And, you know, you could say the same thing about the Bond movies, right? Every new one is big villain, big apocalypse. Bond gets the girl saves the day, done, done. But A... Bond resonates more deeply with me. So, you know, whatever, matter of taste. But B, we get one Bond movie every few years, right? We've been getting how many Bond movies movies a year, right? So it was just so great to go back to this comic book era of, it's still comic book movies, but it's totally different. It was so refreshing. We we waited a lot of years, Scott, to to have this problem. (laughs) We had to wait a lot of years, a lot of bad films for you to get bored. Uh, yeah, well, yes, it, it is a great problem to have. Oh, there are too many movies yeah, to watch. To be, fair. <laughs> to be fair, but yeah, it was just again. I there's so much hope. They're just the audacity. I, the soundtrack. Can we just every time a song mm-hmm. started, I was like, why? And yes, of course you did that. Like it just was just like outstanding. Just just they I, doubled down on Evanescence too. It's like oh, both, <laughs> both boy, they the did. Oh yes. Oh. But I'm gonna just. Oh, Zeke was gonna say something. Oh, it was no, Evanescence. Okay. Yeah, I was, gonna Evanescence. Say, <laughs> I was gonna say. Yeah, when you said soundtrack, I was like, Electra's "Wake Me Up Inside." Just this is this is my favorite scene. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna just jump on, on that train. Perfect. I love that scene because that was the first time that song was used that way. And by the time I was watching it, it had become so ubiquitous and corny and cheesy to use. That the instant I heard it, I was like, where's D'Angelo Vickers and why isn't he juggling in thin air? <laughs> like, I I was just like, this is, that is the level of cliche commentary in that. It's like, not only is he a juggler, not only does he think that's inspirational, not only does he not have the balls that he's doing, he's miming it, he's doing it to this song, which he probably watched Daredevil as the reference. And that's why he thinks it's cool is because Jennifer Gardner did two size shit with it. Like I, I just, it's such, it's such a moment in cinema history, <laughs> that sequence. And it's a great sequence. That's the thing. Like all, all of the commentary is contextual. It's all the internet and memeing and all of that stuff. There's nothing wrong with it. It's a great sequence. It has, the, it has um, great choreography, great emotion. You get who you understand who Electra is now in that scene and it's a great visual effect and it's great integration of that song that song is just so dated it has been used to death in everything else i was just gonna say i love the um i don't know there's nothing high tech about that training like and it's so clean when she does it but i just love imagining her like hoisting up all these sandbags and like painting a devil face on the last one and like making sure they drop so she can like but when you, I mean, that's, but when you see it, it, it looks really cool. And like you said, the emotion, um, it's a good, it's a good training montage. I like it. Well, and that's what I was going to say. Like it's in the spot in the movie where there would be a training montage, but usually a montage will show, okay, you're not good at this yet. And we're going to show like progress over time. But this was just like, no, like she already knows her shit. This was like, 
in real time, basically. And it was just her being like, okay, like I'm gearing up for this. So, so yeah, it wasn't this sort of like, you know, yeah, we're going to, we're going to cram out like all the development had already happened. All the training had been done since she was five. And this was just like, this is what I'm good. I'm, you know, this is for this fight. This is me doing my, like my warm up run through of the fight, you know, instead of seeing her like try to cut the sandbags and miss and like, you know, try to flip and fall on her ass. And then, Oh, and then by the third time she gets it right. It's like, no, like she has it right now. This is it. She's ready to go. And Scott, you like, that's something, modern Marvel movie doesn't, we're just, we're stretching, right? Like we're using as much of time to set up these characters as they want because they can't, they have the money. They just like, no, nothing's fully formed. Hopefully Moon Knight is, it seems like it might be, that might be the one to break the mold. Um, I'm a little excited about that. (laughs) But like, just, just like you were saying, the, the idea that it's, it's a universe that's not belaboring or stretching or yes. just just continuing to produce. That's the thing. Because there was no, they, they made no concessions to the larger world. Right. For the, for the current film. Right. Yeah. This is yeah. yeah. And that's the thing. Like at that point, the shared uh New York would have been Spider-Man's New York and like sure. it wouldn't but but like it's not beholden to anything. There's no required reading. It helps if you know Daredevil because you get to appreciate those cool things. But it was, again, it's so cool to just, just Bullseye exists. We don't have to be explained up to about him. He's drinking a beer and doing fucking Robin Hood shit with uh, uh, darts. darts. Yeah. Well, House of Plain is playing. <laughs> perfect. Another perfect molding like uh yeah. melding <laughs> both the the kingpin like the first time he comes up to uh nrd's uh lap dance, lap dance. right to i'm an, <laughs> I'm an outlaw uh and then, like first you see you see bullseye and like first line is uh i'm 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 irish but i'm not a leprechaun from house of pain it's like what fucking 2002 bullshit <laughs> so amazing that characterization of Bullseye is is a brilliant choice, an interesting, fun choice. Like that's just Colin having some fucking fun, right? Like yeah. there's no misery in that man in this role. I remember having when I first saw it and being like, "He killed an old lady! Like what a villain!" She did refer to a man as a, a semi-colored fella, and so I'm not saying that maybe she deserved a peanut to the throat, but like. I'm not not saying that either. I don't know. I, I think it's funny that for you, that's the thing that made it okay that he killed her. For me, it was like, yeah, I've been on an airplane and someone's talking to me. <laughs> when I had seen it, I think it was before I ever flew. So it was just like, oh, that's messed up. And now that I've been there, it's like, no, I get it. Yeah, shut up. <laughs> Tim has a real short fuse. <laughs> don't fly with this man. <laughs> Scott, were you going to say something? No, I just um, the thing about Bullseye again, like I that bit when he says I miss, I never miss. That was the moment I was like, these characters are now connected forever. So then again, I just again like they took that was supposed to be another movie or this whole movie maybe right, and then instead it's ending number two out of eight. But what you said about Colin Farrell having fun, man, that moment just this character went from being bored about oh I'm gonna go kill somebody, I'm good at that, sure to oh like i'm interested now i'm here for this i need daredevil yeah exactly <laughs> it was a really great moment again just a the performance where he's 
he's just chewing the scenery. But you get this one sentence and this one facial expression and it gave it his all and everything clicked. It brought the whole scene together. And as far as like brutal villain behavior goes, so killing an old lady on an airplane, that's up there. But at the end, when he snatches uh, uh, Electra's knife, throws it back and pierces her hand with it, that was, that's, there were some, there, again, to the, to the rating of this movie, like to that PG-13 rating, there is a lot of brutality to this movie. Um, and a lot of just like street level superhero, just going at it, just that level of violence. And it's, it's, it's fun to watch. I love, he also got the Christ. It's great. <laughs> Through the hands, you took my hands from me. And mm. then we get a post-credits. Like they started post-credits with Bullseye still kicking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's, it's every time he moved his goddamn cape, it was a rattlesnake sound, like a rattle. I don't know why. Is he... Is there a bullseye snake? I don't understand. Was it a snakeskin coat? Or maybe something? that's why. I guess that. But he's like, and also he's like, I want a fucking costume. And he wore the same shit he had. But like, when is he going to get the costume? Is that is that the thing they were like? We'll do it. We'll give him the costume in the next right. one. Like, did you? Really find... that, were they like, have you seen your costume in the comics? Like, what you have <laughs> is working. Just keep that. <laughs> I love big characters with big heads and big symbols on their forehead. <laughs> that's why i love eight balls so much <laughs> i i love too like like there are a lot of like one-liners in this that are hokey like the justice is served but mm-hmm. i love 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 when he's like bullseye like when he hits the fucking <laughs> land like because it's like he has the right amount of sarcasm where he's not saying it to be a badass like like he's not saying it to anyone no one hears him saying it because he's still up in the church and it's just like he's just fucking done like <laughs> Mine is again breaks the man's spine on the side of the train tracks, lets him fall down to the train tracks. The train's coming, and see that light at the end of the tunnel? That's not heaven. That's the sea train. Like, how do you top that? <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's so fucking good. So silly. I love it. <laughs> It feels like that's always sort of what the Punisher is trying to do, but just never quite manages to be as witty right. as this movie was. I feel like if this movie came out today, like, that would be... I don't know why that isn't such a big, iconic line. That's so dark and so great. Like, I feel like that's the... I feel like if this had come out and had been a little bit darker, it might have been, like, a Dark Knight-type, like, iconic... Um, always referenced always aped that kind of it could have it had the potential to be that with that kind of darkness to it like great quip like we should be hearing about that more we should hear less about the bad batmans and <laughs> those corny things and like this these were actually good like i'll get drive through why <laughs> why do we have that one and not that's the c train <laughs> He's about to run the sea train on these chicken wings. <laughs> I'm, not, not, not. <laughs> I'm done. I've combined two jokes. <laughs> Scott, what was your favorite scene? I think it's just at the end with the reporter when he decides not to publish mm-hmm. and then goes outside and doesn't even barely speak aloud his line, you know? Like that. I said I thought this film could have been longer or could have had less in it. They could have given stuff more time. But to be fair, 
the reported character is barely in it, and his characterization is 100% complete yep. from start to finish. Mm-hmm. And that was the, the cherry on top. And I went, oh, that was so refreshing. And it was great in and of itself for what it was from the whole his whole journey from start to finish. And also, admittedly, a great contrast to J. Jonah Jameson. <laughs> His usual, uh, you know, can't be more pictures of Spider-Man vitriol. It was nice to see that resolve come through, and it's really easy to imagine that they might work together at some point, right? This the the muckraking reporter who knows things and hears things in a whole separate world from Murdoch's lawyer. Yeah, there could be value there, you know, or maybe not. Who knows? But it was that was exactly the right amount of plot thread resolution to leave potential for the future that I felt like we had more opportunity for in other parts of the film. So yeah, that was a great moment. Another one that I had, it wasn't necessarily a scene, but just a quick visual um, was when he, so I don't even remember which crime is happening that he's intervening in, but he's on the rooftop and they're kind of down low uh, facing the wall. And he's kind of, he comes up so that his shadow of his costume casts against the wall, the big devil head on the wall. Just a beautiful shot. I love that. It's so was, cool because it's yeah. it's the the bat silhouette too, yeah, right? Like that's exactly. the thing. And but his is di- he, Batman has to face forward, and he has the cape. Daredevil mm-hmm. is profile. He's showing you his good side, and that's scary <laughs> too. Like this, mm-hmm. the style of it too. I was thinking about that. About there's always been this, you know, oh man, Marvel doesn't have a Batman, but like they shouldn't. They shouldn't have a Batman. They should have a not quite Batman, right? A distinct mm-hmm. flavor. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, Daredevil's it. What? And Moon Knight to a, up to a point, certainly, mm-hmm. right? But between them both, <laughs> what else do we That's need? Sacrilege. Like, why, why keep trying? Right? Aren't there two or three characters throughout Marvel's history that have tried to be specifically Batman ripoffs that have all flopped hard? Like, I, I mean, Night Owl, right? It's, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, Supreme, Supreme Team? What is Supreme. it called? Of <laughs> right, yeah. but I just like why, why do that when you have your own flavor of the same thing that is so much better for being unique, and also so close, you know, right there, mm-hmm. right? And, and Batman, Batman Beyond, Daredevil, Moon Knight, Ding Ding Ding, all, all of these awesome physical, intimidating creatures of night, you know? Yeah, and I, I want to say that that's part of the re- or another reason, at least, why. I latched onto to Daredevil so much, right? Like growing up Batman fan in the nineties, seeing another superhero like that with some unique quirks and some, a, a unique origin story. I think that helped too. I, I just always enjoy that type of hero. It's also, it's like, he's got a great twisted relationship with his dad, right? Like I think mm-hmm. Marvel does really good. Like <laughs> DC is good at the absence of parents. Marvel's good at parents who might have been better, like kids might have been better off if they didn't have their parents. Bruce Banner's dad was a terror. Fucking like just that, that, and also kind of the two visions of his father, right? The seminal part of his upbringing. He's in his adolescence going through puberty, looking to his father as this male role model and seeing physicality as a way to make a living. And also I I love the sequence of that, that storytelling for that. You get the love Mm. and the pain of that relationship. And they, I mean, yeah. Matt, I mean, Jack, Madeline Jack is such a, a, a cast, such a huge shadow in the same way that Wayne's death does on Bruce. But the mm-hmm. fact that he had time with his dad, with an absent, w- without his mom, like that whole 
that really characterizes his relationship with uh, Catholicism, with God as a father replacement and surrogate and the priest and, and stick to uh, an extent too. So like, I, I just love that it, it crammed all of that stuff in there. Like it, it's, it's a dark, twisted, relatable story. That's the thing. Like any of us could have been Matt Murdock, right? Like we'd have to be born rich to be br- Batman. Right. So it, it, it grounds him again in a way, right? Like that. It's really, it's awesome. And I, this movie captures that too. That's the thing. Like, when you come away from this film, you understand who Daredevil is, right? Like the the five percent of kind of silliness that's in it, uh, maybe balloon that to twelve or fifteen, right? <laughs> like if everything else is dead straight, exactly what Daredevil is, and it does it beautifully. Like I just wanted to, you mentioned the priest, and I think in a movie that does squeeze a lot in into a short amount of time, it the relationship with the priest, it does that in a really meaningful way. Like you get to the end there where he has the priest leave. And so he can, you know, save him from, from bullseye, you know, and all their confessional talks before. I, I, I don't know. And I, that's such an important part of Daredevil's character. Um, you know, with the nuns in, in the convent when he's growing up and with priest, it just, I, I am glad that that was included and not just left on the cutting room floor. And I'm glad that they did it in a brisk, but meaningful way. Throw a back door out of here. Yeah. Take it. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty nice. It was nice. And I love that line too. He's like, there for confession. He's like, it sounds like you're here asking for permission. You know, and like, mm-hmm. I love that where it's just like, and like right away, oh, he knows who he is. Right. You know, like he yeah. knows what this is about. He knows what he's confessing. You know, like I thought that was like really cool. I mean, yeah, that helped kind of speed it along. Like this isn't just a random guy going into confession. Like he knows not only who Matt Murdock is, but who Matt Murdock is, you know, like, all right, cool. See, that's the other thing. Like, it's so frustrating to see a movie. How old is this? 20, oh God, 15 some odd Nin- years. 19 years. 19 years, right? Like, it's crazy to see a movie using that film language to do it so efficiently, to just plop you in and you understand about a character, who he is, his relationship, who these characters are. Like, this little universe in what like 10 minutes in, in at the beginning of this movie like i it, it, the efficiency of that origin story is is staggering i think that that cannot be understated because even when we got man of steel we be let belabored that origin story again right i love that movie but again belabored when we got uh batman begins is a whole movie origin story right like it, it, it we we got I don't know. Like, I I really love that it was so compact. You understood it and you could just, this guy exists. We don't have to explain it to you. Just, you went, you know who this is. You came into the movie theater. This is Daredevil. We'll just do Daredevil shit. We're not trying to ground it. We're not trying to make it. Into uh, the Spider-Verse. I was a little bit of its pacing to that, I think. Oh, yeah, for sure. We open not with Miles, whose origin story this is, but with Miles' universe's Peter Parker, who's just like, yep, that's me. You know the drill. I'm awesome. Yeah. And then he's dead, right? And then boom, next film. And, and we eventually get served Miles' origin, right? But we get it through all of these other spider people who all breeze through their origin in 30 seconds. You know, I was bitten by right? spider, 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 pig. Boom. Like, <laughs> it, it actually piles three of them together, right? Yeah. It's one of those it's movies worked. just, yeah, speaking of the pacing and, and everything, it's one of those that it's such a short time 
but it, it, it really brings you in. So, you know, if you, so this time rewatching it, I had gotten up to do something in the middle. So I paused. I'm like, how am I already an hour into this? There's only half an hour left. How are they going to wrap up everything they need to do? And Scott, to your point, like, I was like, well, wait, we need to still have a showdown with Bullseye. Like, Kingpin's there, so that's got to happen. And it does feel like there's going to be all those cutoffs, but like, I don't know. Yeah, it, it manages to, to do it all. And you're on, you're there, hook, line, and sinker the whole way through, um, just breezing by. Yeah. That's the other thing. You're never bored in this movie. Even if you're confused or frustrated with the tone, you're like, what is going to happen next? <laughs> right? Like, and it, it's, it, it's again, back to Scott's point, it's nice to see the, the unfolding of a movie, a film that has different pacing than anything modern, right? Like, this is this is so different. It was using a different rule book, right? Like, and it, it's it was really refreshing to watch. That's why I love these old horror movies, right? Like, because they they're under two hours. You get to the kills quick. You understand. Like, I think that could have been a way to have done superhero movies. It's like treat it like a horror movie, like bigger, more brutal slash in the sequels. Like you you could build something like that. I. Just was interesting to think about. I'm conflating those two things, but just the different rule book that this movie used to be made was really refreshing and, and fun to watch. And again, what you mentioned bored. before about not removing content from your film to reserve or cater to a broader universe. Yeah. I read an article a couple of weeks ago about the Dark Knight trilogy basically being the last superhero film to do that, to just have an ending that ends and is over. And, you know, sure, they set up a potential for continuity with, Jay, with Jordan, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, right? But I guess Christopher Nolan has been asked many times lately, and he, every time he's it's angry, just like, no, the movies are over. That's it. I told you Bruce Wayne's story. Bruce Wayne's story ended. Done. The world, of course, is alive and continues because a whole universe continues. That's why we see some other people go off and do things. But no, it's done. Just stop it, right? And I... It was such a bizarre article because they said, oh, yeah, the Dark Knight movies were the last ones. And I'm like, that can't be. Those were so long ago. And I sat there and thought about it. I was like, yeah, I, I guess the Marvel the MCU wasn't quite off the ground yet. So you could argue, of course, that the early, some of the earlier films had their bets and closed things off, right? But what else has there been since then that wasn't designed to launch a whole franchise or fit into an existing one? Like I don't know. I mean, I that's a good one. Yeah. Guess, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I'd there's say a dread. Dread's not. He's no, dread. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, I really wish they had done sequels because that's an incredible film. Um, yeah. Right. It? How long has yeah. it been? <laughs> Hancock. And, would that have been? Yeah. When was that? Hancock was post. Um, Dark Knight. Hancock oh, was no? 2008. So it would have been. And Dark Knight Rises was 2012, so. Oh, wow. During, you know. Wow. But Kick-Ass is good, Red is good, those are good ones, yeah. But yeah, it's just, it, it's all sort of fallen off. And actually, I'm kind of relieved in that regard that DC's efforts have sort of floundered. Because as cool as it would be to see a DC cinematic universe, a Justice League and everything, we're getting The Batman, right? The Robert Pattinson film, which is <laughs> totally, <laughs> yeah, you can keep that one, which is, I, I don't know that we would necessarily be getting that movie if their universe had succeeded. That's you know? true. They have so, had to stretch some different problem-solving 
Right. Like, I mean, so I mean, it'll be kind of nice. Like they're free to go in all these directions. We might, who knows? We might get a campy Batman at some point, right? I mean, or even just if it's like a live action version of something from the Brave and the Bold TV series, right? We could get, who knows? You know, whereas. See, now you Marvel say that, movies, I think that's what Keaton's going to come back to do instead of being. Uh... A dark night. He's gonna be sixty-six Batman. <laughs> Maybe I'd be down for it, right? But that's the point. We don't. We don't know, right? Hmm. Almost everything Marvel's gonna make here. I mean, it's gonna just keep playing again. Not that that's bad. The universe is good, but just it's it's taken away a certain amount of creative freedom and a certain amount of surprise. The Marvel movie I think about the most for a while now has been Eternals, which had some problems, but man, it was so different. And it set up so much cool external universe stuff. Scott, you would be the person to stand or Turtles. That's wow. Like, I, it certainly yeah, just, was, it was a different. surprise, yeah. right? That's yeah. the thing. It was a surprise. So it just opened up Kamel the universe. To be a bigger part of that movie. That's why I'm salty sure. about it. It was fun. It, it opened up the universe in the way Guardians of the Galaxy did, right? Of there's so much more here that feels different and is different to look at and to explore. Instead of just yet another Avenger character. Again, not that that's inherently an issue. I still it's... want a good Green Lantern movie. Yes. I don't... Okay, here... Okay, controversial thought. I don't think there's that much wrong with that Green Lantern movie either. I haven't seen that, so True. I couldn't tell yeah. you. Yeah, it's, I, it's, it's not... It's yeah. just a Ryan Reynolds vehicle, so he's playing himself, which is fine. I'm not mad at that. The suit looks bad, but I... Like, we got... What's his fucking Hornswoggle? What's the dude's name? His, the, the, his sidekick dude who trains him. Not Sinestro, the other guy. Um, oh, Kilowog. 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 Isn't that like, uh, Michael Clark Duncan, who did his voice? See? It is, yeah. It's a shared universe. It's a different, <laughs> different uh, comic book universes, but cinematically. I, I don't, nobody cares about that fucking villain, the big-headed scientist guy, but like it was perfectly serviceable. It introduced the comp. It's just the suit. I, I could forgive a suit. Let's watch Ryan Reynolds have fun for a minute. I, and I think that's the thing, too, because, I mean, you know, as I've talked about before, the, the stuff I like love about Green Lantern was sort of like Hal, Hal Jordan's um, sort of resurrection and redemption. Right. So I think for me, that's what's always been tough is like for me to get the Green Lantern stories I want to see in a movie, like Hal Jordan has to get to the point of, be, you know, being the best Green Lantern, but then being possessed by um, uh, what the fuck is the, the fear villain's name, um, the fear entity. I forget what it's called, but anyway, oh. he gets possessed by it. And that's why he like, part of why he goes crazy, which I think they kind of retroactively said like, Oh, this is oh, um, parallax. That's his name. Oh, okay. uh, which I think they brought that up. Like, cause they do hint at the yellow lanterns in the movie, but you know, again, like, you know, there wasn't time for this journey of like the ascent and descent of Hal Jordan and then resurrection and redemption, you know, and then leading into the war of light and blackest night and all that stuff. But like, you know, that's the thing that really turned me onto the Green Lanterns, where it wasn't just like, okay, they're just these Green Lanterns and they're just fighting who who the fuck cares. It's like, oh, one of their own started his own evil Lantern Corps and it's yellow. And, the, you know, that's the thing that's supposed to be their weakness, you know, and like in fleshing out that whole mythology, like that's that's what I want to see. Like, you know, have it be Ryan Reynolds again, have it be someone else. You know, like, I mean, the suit even didn't really bother me because I like the idea that it's not clothing. It's created by your willpower. So it's not, you know, it's not really there. It's not a suit you physically put on. It's kind of projected over your body. So like, to me, it made sense that it was like a CGI thing as opposed to just something he was physically wearing. The mask constantly donned off their outfits via their ring. 
all yeah. the time. Yeah. Right. The ring comes off or they're dressed, they're suddenly not. You're back in their civilian clothing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's, it's not like, like with Superman where he's physically wearing something under his clothes that he takes off his clothes and there's the suit or, you know, Spider-Man or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's, it's created from the ring, from their willpower. So it's, it's not real. It's not tangible, you know? Mm-hmm. So like that part didn't bother me. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I almost, yeah, I don't know if maybe that was part of it. They let it be a little too much of like, you know, let Ryan Reynolds do his thing, which I mean, I love Ryan Reynolds, but like, yeah, like I, I guess I would have liked it to be, yeah, I, I don't even know. I mean, I don't even know what I would change. I think it's just, yeah, that so many people hated it. They're like, all right, we're not doing any more. And it was like, fuck, like, you know, like I, yeah, I don't care if you make a sequel with Ryan Reynolds and just, but continue that. Like you planted the seeds for the, for the yellow lantern core, like, like do that, you know, like, um, and maybe that's part of it too. Maybe we don't, we don't care yet enough about the green lantern mythology to, to get the implication of like, Oh yeah, that the, it's only weakness is the color yellow. Where we're going to have a whole core of yellow lanterns. Like what the fuck are you going to do about that? You know, like how, how badass that is. Like that's, and I guess, yeah, maybe you could skip the whole like thing about how Leonard go, I mean, how Jordan going crazy. Maybe you could just jump into, okay, yes, here's the green lantern core. Now we have the yellow. Oh, look, now there's this red and there's orange, you know, and you could start bringing them in. But that's the thing I want to see. That's, I feel like that's the, I don't know. And maybe I'm alone on that. Maybe not many people know about it. So if they started making that, people would be like, what the fuck is this? Why are you making rainbow lanterns? What is this? You know, they no, like, here, here now, you know, like <laughs> it's another part of comics that, apparently was really cool but is proving troublesome to like gather in a coherent fashion right you know another one of those major crossover events like i'll watch that i'll watch the the lantern core tv series those are some of the best parts of the justice league animated series is justice Mm -hmm. league and and unlimited right because in both of those even the original was already kind of a spinoff from the batman and superman animated shows Mm -hmm. so these characters are just kind of there like we get some intro in the early bits of justice league and then that's it. You know who these people are, right? Justice League Unlimited focuses more on other people than on the original seven. And there's a great episode in one of those series where Jon Stewart is basically losing the ability to use his ring. So he has to go back to the Lantern Corps to like retrain and find his will again. And you show up on some planet somewhere where he, one of his former students, his former, you know, uh, Padawans, right? Is uh, <laughs> is there helping people with their civil war, like a UN peacekeeper or something? And it's such a great glimpse into like, well, Justice League is still on Earth. There's so much else going on out here, and the lantern is such an integral part of the entire place that like, it just it feels neat. Again, it hints it more the way Guardians of the Galaxy did, right? And it's a great little episode, especially because after that, every time you you catch those lines between him and Sinestro about ideological you know shouting in the middle of their fight it like hits all of them all the harder as an, i mean daredevil is what we're talking about but yes, again sorry. on the green lantern movie just like i the the design for sinestro is outstanding like mm-hmm. and also like the manifestation his training is like a sword how human how boring how cool you just it hinted at this larger universe which is the part of the dc universe i've always been most fascinated with because mm-hmm. i mean i have become more fascinated with because i loved batman but i've i've got a lot of batman and then yeah. i got nightwing and i got a lot of nightwing but i don't get a lot of cosmic shit and that stuff's fun adam strange is fun hawkman is fun green lantern core that oh, yeah. cosmic universe is huge and it's a great place for superman to play because you get lobo and you get these like big 
world crushing level threats, you get Imperiax, which I know it's kind of a, a, um, a nihilist, Galactus, Thanos amalgam, and then we get sure, Dark Side. The whole new gods and Alliance, right? Yeah, Dark Side, yeah. It's just a fun part of the universe that we never got to see. But Daredevil, street level, 2003. Yeah. Brad Pitt. <laughs> Brad Pitt, no. Why would I say Brad Pitt? <laughs> Brad Pitt, no, Ben Affleck, yeah. Ben Affleck. That <laughs> <laughs> is something that's nice, just your to sort of counter counteract you for a moment, Joel. I, I do yeah. love those broader universes, but it's so great to not have the escalation problem here. His whole domain is Hell's Kitchen, a neighborhood yeah. of a borough of a city. That's it. No entire city, no you know planet orbiting space station, right? Just this is the place I live and streets I walk every day, and I want them to be better for the people here. Great. It's so simple. So something just popped into my head, like, you know, as we were finishing up the discussion of things not Daredevil, <laughs> is that for in my head now, forever, in my head canon, um, Matt Damon plays Ben Affleck's Robin. <laughs> <laughs> Which Robin? Carrie <laughs> <Right. Yeah. laughs> Kelly. How do you like these bowlers? Dave, Dave I got a number. Grayson. We'll make Casey Affleck Jason Todd so they can bicker really well, right? <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, he would make a good Jason Todd, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I feel like, yeah, like, I almost, like, it, like, in my mind, it's like, that's why, like, we didn't ever show Robin, because it's this, it's this joke. It's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's Matt Damon. <laughs> that was his little buddy who got killed, and that's why we don't see him, and we don't show, ever show who, who Robin was. It's Matt Damon. <laughs> see, you just, you want the Kevin Smith-directed Batman, is what you want. <laughs> <laughs> With yeah. Phantom's Ben Affleck. <laughs> I will say, it was really nice learning about a character, again, because I, I mean, you know, we, I've known Batman my whole life, we've no spider-man by now right iron man i sort of kind of i knew he's his basics right dude in a suit put in air whatever right so seeing that movie for the first time was really neat oh i have a new origin to to look at new characters and new, this same thing with this daredevil yeah oh hey i don't really know anything weighty about this character at all who's this who's that hey john favreau's here like that was so great and that's again something that to be fair, the Marvel Universe has started to pick up on again now that we've got rid of our old characters. We've got all these new characters. We have no choice but to intro new characters, right? Shang-Chi, his whole thing, that whole breakfast scene in, in Aquafina's family's house, it's just like bitch perfect, right? But it was really nice to just go back to a new, new-to-me character, right? Where I only kind of know the basics and all this stuff comes up. That was really refreshing. And again, it wasn't like they crammed a lot into this movie, like we said. Uh, but it felt like a lot based on the plot pacing, not based on I'm sitting here and they're throwing comic book reference after comic book reference after me, you know, like it, it felt like they had proper in film reasons for all of this that just created more questions. Like bullseye reminded me a lot of the weird ass silver mask version of Deadshot that we see in some of the Batman comics, right? Which is, gaudy is like will smith's outfit but way shinier and gaudier right <laughs> and i thought i wonder what other versions of bullseye are there i want to see more of him right what's his whole deal this i just it, it made me more interested in the character and his history something like bullseye comic book bullseye is a psychopath like he's brutal i mean that you get a little of that he, i feel like colin's a little too fun for him yeah. to be he's dark though i mean you get the the impaling of Electra on the side 
that's straight out of the comics. Like, I think that was the fucking cover, right? Or it was the last panel. I can't remember. Like a full page splash of that impact. Like that. That character is so fascinating and so dark and so the opposite of Murdoch because he's embraced it. He's like, I'm a serial killer. I'm the bad guy. That's that's and Mar- or, uh, Matt is always trying not to be the bad guy. Yeah, that's kind of the opposite of Batman Begins used the Scarecrow, right? Which was great, but and I mean maybe because I already knew, right? There was nothing in that that made me want more Scarecrow later, right? It felt clear that he was just here for this film and we were going to move on to other villains and other problems, right? But like I said about even the, the multiple endings for Daredevil, everything about it made me be like, there's going to be more here. There's going to be more between this connection between Murdoch and Bullseye for the framing and the killing. Of him. Like, there's going to be more between this connection between him and Fisk, who is the kingpin who's on top. Like, it just, everything felt more, but not not in that compromised way of we're going to set up another 20 films. It felt more as in just, oh, like this connection between two living people and their emotions creates more. Damn, it was, it just, again, it, what you said before, but it, even when you're confused, you're always just having fun and watching more of the film because as choppy as it was, so much of it just felt natural. The, the smaller individual bits, individual sections, they felt natural. I want to see the director's cut now. Have any of you seen that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. R-rated and longer, apparently. I, I felt bad, too, because like, I don't like being this guy, but I, as I was watching it, I kept being like, oh, what happened to my favorite scene? Oh, that's in the director's cut. Oh, what about this scene that I love? Oh, that's in the director's cut. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's definitely worth watching it. There's definitely, aside from the whole, like, Coolio storyline, <laughs> like the like like what, like what the, the joke he makes about being in Fight Club, like, I, like of course, I fucking love that. I was like, yes, a Fight Club reference in Daredevil. Like, <laughs> but, yeah, like, there, there were so many things. I just remember being like, what, what happened in the oh, director's cut? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Zeke, you were going to say something can't remember where we were we kind of diverted away <laughs> sorry uh i think it was just on matt um i think yeah. you'd queued up i love the characterization of him and that teetering morality because well i've been saying it but this was a brutal kind of depiction of him and he's just beating people up and and from the get-go too right like it doesn't take um a big twist for him to say you know what i'm going to start cracking down on people harder he kind of just always has this sense of, of justice and, and a moral compass. And the way he's living up to that is just dishing out punishment. Um, but he does kind of teeter a little back and forth and like doing the right thing, but doing it in a brutal way. Um, that's just one thing I love about that character in the comics, in the series. And then this, I, I, I loved how they captured that. I love that how they're, they're able to, get rid of the sort of the gray line with vigilantes where it's like, Oh, it's supposed to be up to the courts to decide who's guilty and who's innocent. But because of his little hearing thing, like he can tell you're lying. You actually did the thing. You're guilty. You know, I don't care what the, you know, so I like that they, they remove that where it's just like, Oh, what if this vigilante is beating up on some guy and they really were framed and they really are innocent, you know? Mm. And it's like, Oh, how can you tell blah, 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 you know, jury of his peers. But it's like, no, I know he's lying. I know he did it. I'm going to beat the shit out of him and throw him onto the train tracks. <laughs> I love like, the- yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're right. He is guilty. Yeah. Yeah. I love the line that, you know, didn't you hear I was acquitted? Not by me. <laughs> Another good superhero. little zinger. 
mm-hmm. I'm going to beat your ass for the line. <laughs> I that line just gave us swear to me in Batman yeah. Begins, right? Yeah. It's got to be. It's got to be from there. <laughs> yeah. That's true. I, when I yeah, there was something in the back of my brain was like that seems like I've heard that and then <laughs> yep. It's a good one. We ran out of things to say. It it's is. a good one. We like it. We like it. Is it time, Joel? Oh, yeah. I, I forgot. Oh, <laughs> I was having so much fun. Oh, I, I have one last thing to add. I got actually. to rip bits and shit. I, didn't need, I don't need a, a jumping off point. <laughs> yeah, I have one last thing. It doesn't, it's not going to go anywhere, but I, those of you more familiar with the Marvel side of things, with Daredevil in particular, what do you think of the idea that those chemicals that bind Daredevil are also the chemicals that created the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Very big fan, yes. Yeah. Both. Uh, yeah. I was a, I was a TMNT fan before I was a Daredevil fan, mm-hmm. and then so like I had a TMNT sleeping bag. It's like I, sure. I love TMNT. Oh yeah, I'm and then so was all over the place. Oh, it was great. Yeah, <laughs> move over Speaking to Transformers. Of, I have a, a Daredevil, a Ben Affleck Daredevil bobblehead, and he's like perched on a rooftop, and it's, <laughs> I love it. Um, but anyway, yeah, love TMNT, and I mean, obviously, there's like um the hand or you know in the foot and like <laughs> thick and splinter and all these different plays on it but like growing up a tmnt fan and then getting to daredevil later through this movie and then getting more daredevil later and then like being like oh and then um kevin eastman came to to uh denver comic-con a few years ago and i got to sit on in on that and he was talking about those origins and once that clicked for my brain just one of the happiest moments in my life is like, <laughs> holy shit, that, that is that. Uh, so big fan to answer your question. Can we can we just talk about the casual uh, uh, canisters of deadly chemicals? Just just in a back alley, you know, forklifts out like in the Fork wild, swerving like <laughs> blades out, just slashing barrels. <laughs> A sea of OSHA violations. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, I'll put my favorite segment right here. It is it is time for another situational movie recommendations. recommendations. Zeke's the only one who brings these. Scott will bring one occasionally. Tim's never brought one. <laughs> this is, I, this I will is, not. I will not. <laughs> no notes. <laughs> We're gonna have to edit a little bit, I because I, I, I need some fine tuning. I have some ideas, but I he brings I, one to workshop, which yeah, <laughs> I don't know if they're gonna be good this time because we've done like favorite remake or reboot or spinoff, right? We did that when you were not part of the podcast. So if you want okay. to bring that one up, we then we, we I also don't remember what I answered, so I'm probably oh. giving new answers now. Okay, so I have that, or I have a different flavor of that which is um, what's something that you always wanted to see turned into a movie or a series that you got? So that can be, well, Joel, I see Joel <laughs> smiling. We've got Moon Knight coming up. <laughs> so yeah. And my thing moon. earlier about like Green Lantern and just yeah. put that in here. <laughs> Perfect. Because <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking like it can be, so for me, like it was, I had Daredevil the movie and then I got Daredevil the series and that was great. But like for somebody, it might be, I read the comics and then I got this movie or it might be, I was a fan of this movie and then they spun it off into a series. Another answer for me, I'll just get it out of the way while I'm workshopping. Um, love karate kid. So I've really loved Cobra Kai. I think they've done a good job, like adapting the movie and making that universe broader and like continuing that storyline in a, in a 
modern, you know, the characters are, are grown now and things like that. So Daredevil movie to a series and then um, Cobra Kai, or Karate Kid to Cobra Kai are my answers. But yeah, something that you want to see turned into something else. We'll go with that as the prompt. I, I would really like to see an adaptation of Gotham Central. Scott is also freaking out because he loves yes. that series. He introduced me to that series. It's outstanding. It's great. It is a Gotham without Batman. And it is really well written. It's Greg Brucker. The last couple issues get a little shakier, Greg but those, Brucker, excuse me. those opening ones, yeah. Yeah, it's a great... Oh I really love that. It's kind of it, it, it kind of grounds those villains a little bit more. and You actually see real people having to deal with them, which is great. Or like more believable people than Batman, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I'd really like the the Batman uh, um, the white white knight. What is it called? Black no Black Mirror. The Black Mirror, mm-hmm. um, where it's Dick Grayson takes over the mantle of the Batman. Like I I have been clamoring for a good Dick Grayson adaptation. Batman Forever is one. It's not a great one, but at least they fucking tried. Cowards, give me Robin. Jesus. Um, yeah, that, I, I would really like to see those. That's the thing. It's like oh, so many of these things are happening for us. Like they, we've been waiting our whole lives for shit like this, and the, to be talking hypothetically about it and it not be over the moon as 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 a possibility. Like the fact that we're getting Moon Knight, and I'm going to talk about Moon Knight because it's fucking happening and it's making me lose my mind. It's the most exciting thing ever. Like I never thought we would. I was like, I discovered this little pocket in the Marvel universe, and then the Marvel MC, the MCU started. It's like, oh, cool. Maybe uh, maybe we'll get a reference. What, at one point, they were like somebody, a reporter in Egypt in one of the Avengers films. They referenced it's like, oh, that might be Moon Knight. Like I like so that's like they plant little seeds like that. We're getting a series. Feige says it's brutal. It's Oscar Isaac. They're a list. They're supporting it. Moon Knight's going to be a thing. People are going to freak out. Anyway, um, but yeah, it's it's just I mean Boba Fett, right? We have a Boba Fett series. <laughs> I always wanted to know about that guy. Like. It, so my answer is a lot of them are already happening. It's just more specific, like Batman runs with a focus on Dick Grayson. That that's my, or the the Gotham Central is a great series. I like that too. I like that answer though of, of that that a lot of these are coming to fruition and that we are getting that experience. I think I think we're really lucky for that. <clears throat> and like I I feel really lucky to have gotten to see quote unquote, the bad daredevil, which I loved and thank you all for also loving. And then also getting to see a series, which I think did a little more seriously and, and a little more gritty at times and uh, a broader kind of universe, which I also really loved. So very lucky for both of those. I want to say, I mean, in addition to my green lantern stuff, I was also thinking like, yeah, like, and, and yeah, like kind of along the lines of what you guys were saying is it's, it's a great problem to have to be like, I have to think really hard about what <laughs> comic books I want to see made into movies and TV shows because yeah, they, they've done so many of them. But I think the one that I still like, this was sort of my, my, my second favorite was dark Hawk. Um, oh, yeah. Like in the early nineties, I think that series started and it, it took off so strong and then it kind of went in some weird directions and then it kind of went away. And then they kind of tried to bring him back when they deal with like cosmic stuff sometimes, but I didn't like the cosmic stuff. I liked it where this kid found an amulet. It made him into this guy who could like 
you know, fight. And, you know, at one point he looks under the helmet and he's terrified by what he sees under the helmet. You don't know what's under the helmet. And it's like, you know, I, I like the mystery that was around that. Um, at one point later on, he ends up being able to fly, which I didn't like because he had a grappling hook and he had like wings so he could glide. He could pull himself and glide kind of, you know, kind of like Batman. But I liked that it was a limitation. He couldn't just fly, you know, and then they fixed it later. Oh, now he can just fly. But, and they built a whole mythology about them too, which I, I kind of like, you know, almost like it's a Green Lantern core, like a Nova core, something like that, which I also didn't like. I, I liked it when it kind of just focused on like the one kid who, you know, it's like, again, like young kids just like, oh, I kind of have, you know, something that can kind of help me help other people, help my family do this sort of thing. Like, you know, I'd love to see some version of him where just stays like that, you know, like, I mean, maybe, maybe he ends up going and doing cosmic things, but I don't necessarily want it to pull into that whole mythology, but that was like another big thing that I liked, you know, it was like Spider-Man, of course, since I was three. And then when Darkhawk came, I was like, Ooh, what's this new guy? Like that was like my other big heavy hitter. I always forget you love Darkhawk and it makes me love you more, Tim. It's one of my favorite <laughs> things about you is your fan, your standing of Darkhawk. <laughs> It's yeah, it's so random too. It's just kind of like I feel like he. Yeah, I think it was early '90s. It was like I think it was around the time when they did like the reboot of Ghost Rider. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a few other new. I think that was like when the New Warriors kind of rebooted. I think, and you know. So well, speaking we had, of, that made me think of my other one, which is Penance. Oh I yeah. Want to see a Penance adaptation. So Penance was Speedball. Speedball was responsible for the tragedy that started the Civil War in the comics. And the new warriors were like this younger team that had a reality show and speedball in penance for the massacre that he committed becomes this guy who's encased in this metal suit that stabs him with needles to trigger his powers to punish him for what he did, but also so he could be a weapon and a tool. I fucking love the, it. It's uh, emo as hell. And if we see it, I'm going to be a freak out. <laughs> he has the suit built with like a spike inside one spike for every person who died in the tragedy. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's like, constantly and, feeling. yeah, so he's just in, and, and his new powers are like based on pain. So that's part of it too. So like when he needs to do, so he has to like lean into one of his spikes. So it stabs him. And then he's like, okay, now I can do my powers. And it was such a great thing to do to such a stupid character. (laughs) (laughs) Scott, what about you? So, oh no, Tim, you, I interrupted you. You were talking about. Uh, Yeah. So yeah, Darkhawk. Yeah. So Green Lantern, Darkhawk. Oh, I also, at some point, I think we, we might've talked about this. I talked about this recently, but I forget who with, with, who's with, but um, I want to see like the Spider-Man clone saga, some version of it doesn't have to be exactly, but like, you know, Bendis did an ultimate clone saga in Ultimate Spider-Man that was like different from how it played out originally in the 90s. Um, and I think that version might work a little bit better um, because I think the, the the version that they did was based on the fact that, yeah, like years earlier, there was this whole ordeal with a clone and he thought the clone was dead and then the clone comes back. Whereas the ultimate one, it just kind of like, Oh yeah, like I think it was Dr. Octopus. It's like, oh, by the way, he had your DNA this whole time. He's been making clones of you. And then like all, all these villains were popping up and then you didn't realize where those villains were coming from. Like I think one of them was like the Scorpion. So we got Ultimate Scorpion. It's like, oh cool. Like, yeah, that's a character. Pulls the mask off and it's Peter Parker. And it's like, what the fuck? And it was like some fucked up clone that was made. Um, 
and it was really creepy and cool because they made like i think the tarantula was also one which is a pre-existing character but it was another clone of him where he actually had like you know the little like spider fangs in his mouth and like a hairy face and actually had like eight legs and it was super creepy and he was just doing all these genetic versions and I'd like to see something like that where it's like, okay, Tom Holland, you've got to do a bunch of like, play a bunch of different characters, you know, like that's, that's, that's what we do next with him. It's like, all right, you've done Spider-Man, you've done the multiverse. Now you're going to do the clone saga. So you've got to play 50 roles in this thing. <laughs> so that, that I think would be really fun to see. Gotham Central, right? Joel, you just, yeah. just next that right <laughs> up. Like, I agree with Tim about the Green Lantern stuff. That's great. And it's, it's something I haven't delved too much into, but the more I learn, the more I like about the broader mythology and everything. Comics-wise, Brian Azzarello's Joker. Mm. That would be brutal. Basically perfection yeah. in, a, in a story. Yeah. And then, I, I this isn't going to make any sense, but I would really love A Lonely Place of Dying, the Tim Drake origin story, which is a story I'm already just kind of more partial to than most people, I guess. It's, I don't think they even sell it on its own anymore. I think it's just included if you buy A Death in the Family. Jason right. Todd's dead. They just yeah. tack it on because Tim Drake's not important. He's just the new Robin. Eh, eh, that annoys me so much. And it's such a good story. It's that, so good. Yeah. It gets to the heart of, at, of what makes Batman who he is. You know, and what makes Robin important, too, in a way that's not like sort of saccharine and doofy, but also not really like dark and sad. It's, it's, it's a really nuanced story. More broadly, I I said to Joel once ages ago that I really wanted to see war in the Star Wars universe because in the original films, I mean, you know, Battle of Hoth is great, right? But it's a delay in action, right? The rebels are not an army, you know? They're retreating I love the technology and the setting, right? And I said, well, why don't we take the Clone Wars era, which is big in scale, and it doesn't have to be clones, right? Give me a, you know, volunteer corps of, of mercenary lunatics, right, from, from Republic Worlds, and give me, like, a commando story. And I laid the whole thing out, and at the end of it, Joel said to me, so you mean the X-Wing book series, but in the Clone Wars? And I said, <laughs> maybe? I know I haven't read them, but give me. That war scene in Solo is like, oh my god, that was it. Give me that, but give me the whole thing. Give me a series, give me a movie, give me these characters, right? And I, I said before, I think people have this enormous hatred of the prequel era in films and everything attached to them and then also this enormous hard-on for the originals but then also this enormous love of jedi but there are no jedis in the originals except luke so they keep finding excuses to cram in totally not jedi right and it's just like screw that just go back the setting is fine you know you can distinctify yourself if you don't like the prequels right just but take the setting do more with it and in the, in that vein like the clone wars could be give me the war on its biggest scale instead of a guerrilla war, right? And then give me more Jedi. And then otherwise, fables. Um, the Wolf Among Us, anybody? Mm-hmm. There's yeah. a sequel, apparently, which is going to be great, I think, maybe. But, you know, Telltale Games kind of completely imploded. Right. So give me that as an animated TV series or film. And it doesn't even, again, you could go original like they did with The Wolf Among Us, which is an original prequel to the graphic novels, right? Just... Just give me more, give me more of that setting, that place. It doesn't have to be the actual comics, right? One that I'd like to see rebooted, that's not quite the question, but this maybe like Aragon. I really wish that that had been better. 
I was really excited to see that story out of that. You see, that's that what afternoon. I think about the book is I really wish it was better. <laughs> so it's he was funny. 17. Leave me alone. No, that's fair because I, I didn't read it until I was like 24. So I, they I, get yeah. better. It's the thing. Like he, you can sure. see him grow as a, a writer. But I, I just like that mythology. I like the story about the brother. Like I liked how it kind of divided it. Like I, I that's something I'd like to get, see given another shake. Um, yeah, I'd be with you there. Yeah, no, I, I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. No, you're fine. Like you're right. Like it's not and then, good. <laughs> and then my version of that is Inkheart. Yeah, because they did. That was, bo- bo- a movie it's three book. books, and right. that trilogy is absolutely stellar. Yeah, people really like that. I like to. I, I'd argue they're in some ways better in quality writing wise than like Harry Potter, even you know. Definitely been, transphobic. Right. There are <laughs> other problems, right? But the books themselves are a good read, right? So, you know, just in terms of getting through, right? That was. Sometimes you, know, you just say the thing, Tim, and I love you yeah, for it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because that was, I was reading a few different authors, including Harry Potter at the time. You know, everybody had, everyone was reading Harry Potter, right? Yeah. But then everybody else was reading. Obviously, I didn't read Aragon, right? Some people did. Inkheart was something basically nobody else I knew even touched. And it was absolutely stellar from start to finish. And it took her like 10 years to write the third book. But but uh, we got we got a movie at some point. I don't I think it went straight to DVD. I don't even remember. Um, is yeah, it Brendan Fraser in that, well. right? Yes, he is. I don't. That was kind yeah. of the last gasp of him for a while. Yeah, it's it's not worth talking about. I had one, I think Scott would maybe agree with. And then I found out it's happening. So that's cool. Um, but I've been playing a lot of Ghost of Tsushima lately, yes. uh, and that would be a fun movie to make. See, like, I'm kind of worried about that, actually. Yeah, just with like how they're gonna focus it in, or just... again, I, I mean, I games are long, right? Yeah, games exactly. Special, right? Yeah, like the Uncharted movie, which just came out. I haven't had a chance mm-hmm. to see it yet. They have five games in that series, mm-hmm. four of which involve our main mm-hmm. character. But like, I don't, and, and the stories in those in those games are great. They're, mm-hmm. On the one hand, they're pulpy Indiana Jones nonsense, you know. But on the other hand, there's some real emotional heft, especially to that fourth game mm-hmm. when they introduce the brother. But I'm not expecting that from the film. These come from a particular cinematic origin of, like I said, like the Indiana Jones, just like, oh, it's fine, lighthearted. So the film's just going to be all the best set piece action, mm-hmm. big screen moments with whatever mashup plot they've crammed in there to ferry us from point a to b i don't care that's great that's gonna be fine but ghost of tsushima so yeah. much of that game is this emotional core about our our character journey yeah. and it's many many hours to get through that journey so yeah. i'm a little trepidatious about like are they gonna shorten it drastically chop it to bits gonna drag it out you know that's fair i, I don't know because yeah. if you hop on my game right now and pull up my missions mm-hmm. i've got like three or four that are related to the main story. I've got like 12 side missions and those still have like a lot of value and tie-ins to like his crew and his, you know, Mm -hmm. so that's a very good point that there's a lot of threads like as a series. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's ripe for it. It's the whole thing Mm -hmm. comes from samurai film. Yeah. Right. Unapologetically. It has a Kurosawa mode you can turn on. Right. (laughs) And that's great. We could certainly use a revival of that, I think. Mm -hmm. And if it's going to be the Ghost of Tsushima setting and aesthetic, hell yeah. But I, I guess we'll wait and see what they're going to do yeah. with the plot, right? Maybe they'll do what uh, The Wolf Among Us did and just tell unrelated original stories within that world, which would be mm. great. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I was also thinking another one that like in one medium we got, but I'd like to see, I'd like to see, a, I guess they had, he had a TV series, but like a new Flash Gordon series. Mm. I think that would be a really cool way to showcase that character it, because the, the Flash Gordon movie is incredible. It is a fucking brilliant movie. I will hear no words against the Hawkman. Okay. Like I, I love Flash Gordon and I, I think it would be a really interesting thing to see adapted and see what they lean in because a lot of it is silly and you either play it super straight like brian blessed does in that movie or you it, it falls apart so like I, I i don't know like just a a, a modern take on a, a 60s sci-fi tv serial or radio i think that would be really cool do you remember sky captain in the world of tomorrow I never saw that. Yeah. Oh. That's uh, it's on my list that I might bring at some point. Yeah, that'd be good. But speaking it. of Flash Gordon, because okay. it'd be similar vibes. Yeah, I'd love nice. another another crack at that. And then Jonah Hex. Yes, yes. Uh, you're when you were talking about Flash Gordon, reminded me of Wild Wild West yeah. <laughs> and their whole mega old west. And then I was like, boom, Jonah Hex done. Give me that. Another lightning round one when uh, Tim, when you mentioned Ghost Rider earlier, I thought of Cosmic Ghost Rider. Oh yeah, that would be fun. And then I also uh, was thinking of Immortal Hulk. That would be fun. Oh I don't my know how you god! Do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's like Cosmic Ghost Rider and Immortal Hulk would be too much for where the, where the MCU is at right now. I hey, but we're fucking... from a multiverse of madness. That let's just fucking do that yeah. shit. And we are uh, going to get as Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Right? That's, yeah, yeah. we're headed there. So, Love and Thunder. And go. maybe even yeah. um, Jane picking up the hammer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think they've yeah. confirmed that, actually. Yeah. That's yeah. Cosmic well, Ghost you... Rider in a Mortal Hulk. The Mortal yeah. Hulk would be so good, man. Like a horror series with like the grotesque. It sucks that Joe Bennett turns out to be a Nazi. He's not a good person, mm-hmm. the artist from that. But the the the, um, the writer is incredible. That Al Al Ewing is an incredible storyteller, and adapting those would be so cool. <laughs> what you said to think of... about? Sorry, Tim, please. Oh no, um, I, I was just like, well, you made me think of this, Scott, too, because like you know, I was thinking just comics, but then when kind of you know actual novels came up, I was like, you know, and we were supposed to be getting this, but the Dark Tower, like. I, I want the series, you know, cause like that, that I feel yeah. like that world is too big for movies, you know, I mean, unless you're going to do, you know, four films to take up book seven, sure. You know, but like, I, See, know, I, I, I don't like know if I'm crazy, series. but I saw in their marketing that that film was supposed to take place after the books and yeah. set up the TV series. Right. And that was in almost all the marketing I saw, except the trailers. And then they came out, everybody was like, what a terrible adaptation of the books. And I'm like, but that's not what it was. Like right. it was supposed to just build the setting. And they did. It was pretty cool. <laughs> like I like what you said about Daredevil at the beginning, right? I came out going, wait a second, I'm the only one who feels this way. <laughs> so so I don't know, maybe I'm nuts. Yeah. But yeah, I, mean, I love like, that series. Yeah. Like that was the thing, like with the with the movie, like I knew it was supposed to be a continuation. Mm-hmm. I think my my thing with it was Kind of like, I mean, maybe, you know, kind of like the things we've said about Daredevil, where it's like, are you setting up a bigger world where we're going to tell more stories mm-hmm. later? Or are you containing this to one story? And and I think for me, 
there was like, like part of what's so great about the gunslinger, the book is it just like, it sets up this world and you just spend so much time on this one little quest Roland's going on just to talk to the man in black and to find something more out than what he knows. And I feel like they tried to cram a lot of the stuff that happens throughout the seven book series into that first film but it was like it didn't have the 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 weight and the epicness mm-hmm. i think because like yeah, it all just happened kind of too quickly like i think if they would have made it even though it's not supposed to be an adaptation of book 1 they still needed need to, to set the sign up yeah, with more like care. To yeah be an fair. introduction to this new cycle of yeah. what's happening um i've yeah, read the was, first two books so far Okay. Yeah. So you you got to where Jake is introduced and everything, right? Yeah. Like that that happens in the only in the gunslinger because the second book, draw out of the three, didn't have any. He doesn't show up again. Not majorly. Isn't that where? Yeah. Isn't that where they draw like Eddie and then Susanna and and isn't doesn't Jake? Uh, Because Susanna counts as two that turned into one, so it's just the three of them right now. In the beginning of book three, they're sitting in the forest. Oh, teaching them how to shoot. Okay, but but you know I agree with you about like like the gunslinger was incredible. I loved I whipped through that book so quickly, and you're right about so much of it was just placing you into this setting. Even again, not not to bring it back again, but the first Harry Potter book they don't show up at Hogwarts until about two thirds or seventy percent of the way through the book yep. by page count, because you spend all this time learning about magic, right? Again, it's it's something books always do better i guess but something tv series can really capitalize on mm-hmm. evangelion i was telling you joel about you know by the time asuka has her breakdown she we don't need so to build <laughs> anything about her history because they did it in two minute increments for the past 10 episodes yeah right every tier in that show is fucking earned <laughs> and you know like it, it's it's the it's it's visually cacophonous the way um, Tolkien's prose is. You get every fucking Ooh, tree branch's origin story. It's that level of density of storytelling and character development. It's doing it that that system systemically and that granularly the whole way through. On the flip side, for a setting you wouldn't really need to set up, and what you said, Zeke, about video games, I'm a sucker for a strategy game called World of Conflict which takes place in the 1990 question mark. And instead of collapsing, the Soviet Union just invades Europe and starts World War III. Um, and the central draw of the game is they invade the United States and you know, et cetera. But the, the real core of the story is our, the officers in our company and the history they have as they fight this under-resourced struggle against the Soviet Union. And then there's an expansion campaign where you play as the Soviets, which really humanizes them beautifully in in that sense of like everyone being caught up in the machinations of these two great political machines i mean alec baldwin narrates the player character for god's sake like it's it's really damn good his voice is so soothing and it's you wouldn't need like i said you wouldn't need to explain the thing at all it's just end of the soviet union era world war three go right but that would really free you up to focus on the the people involved and it wouldn't need all the legwork yeah yeah this was a great one, Zeke. Hell yeah. Well, that was the other thing I was thinking, too, now that we're bringing video games into it. I want yeah. Zelda. Zelda movie. Yeah. <laughs> ah. Give me that. <laughs> which which game would you like to focus it on? You know, Because we've got those whole uh, cel-shaded Wind Waker deal, and we've got the Ocarina-style stuff, and then Breath of the Wild is its own whole thing, right? 
there are a few distinct settings and versions. Well, well that's the thing is like, I, I, I have this book that I haven't read, but yeah, like there's apparently like three different timelines, yep. like yeah. alternate timelines that have split. So I think like what, I think what I would want, um, cause I think chronologically like timeline wise, I think, um, What's the the one that's like in the sky? Is that the Skyward? Yeah, Skyward. Sword. Sword. Yeah. I think that's supposed to be the very first one. I think chronologically, um, so I would I would want an early one to kind of set the stage that's not in one of the particular worlds because, like, yeah, I think that's one of the things is that there's a, a split. One of the splits in the timeline is with uh, the Zelda two. Because if you die, they use your blood to bring back Ganon. And then there's a whole series of games that take place in that world where Link mm-hmm. died, so Ganon came back. And then there's another series of games that take place in the world where if in Zelda 2, like, you defeat Ganon. And then I think the other split happens in, in Ocarina of Time, where I think, isn't it something where, like, you can yeah. choose to go back and just be young again? Right. So that's one. But then there's another one where you don't go back in time. So, see, so yeah, I'd want something earlier on so it's not getting into, oh, well, this is only part of this timeline. Um, and then would Link not be involved? Or otherwise, how would you work around the mute protagonist character? Um, how would I you think, present that? I mean, I think, like, one of the things that I've loved about the game is that, like, it's not the same guy. You know, it, it's become this 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 archetype kind of character, you know, or I think it, like they even do in Wind Waker where it's like, oh, every boy when he reaches a certain age, he puts on the green garb and like oh. you basically become this 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 symbol. Like Link is not, you know, it, later on in the games, it's not this individual. It's not the same person. Anyone can wear the mask. Yeah, Spider-verse. yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it's 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 the cowl. You know, um, the so I think that's Link. what I would, you know, I think a safe way to do it is to be like this is the origin of that character. This is the first version of the person who, who dons the green clothes and, you know, this sort of emergence of like the three Triforces and Ganon and Zelda and Link and their kind of relationship that, um, you know, cause then it's like, if you wanted to have a movie series or a TV series, you could take all of those core concepts of Zelda. And then, I mean, essentially build your own timeline, but mm-hmm. set up that like, okay, this is where this mythology started. You know, um, I think a, a really cool thing I would like to see, this is kind of radical, but to do a Zelda story that takes place like, like current day where, you know, again, because these are such ancient, you know, mythological characters that have been passed down. So it's like a world that is modern to us, but there, th- that same sort of conflict arises, and there are people. And so, instead of like it being a medieval type story, it's a modern story. You know, where it's like, um, you know, it's just going to be Mario Brothers live action, bro. You want to bring no, it to the no, modern? It's not gonna be, no, it's not going <laughs> to suck. <laughs> it like Wazabo is Link. Well, did you see uh, Onward? Right. Yeah, what was it? yeah, I mean that's Pixar. the fantasy in a modern setting. It's of course oh. my hard family comedy, but it's that setting can work. Yeah, yeah. So I, th- you know, I think that would be part of it, where it's like, it, you know, I mean, it wouldn't necessarily be our world. It could be another world that looks like our world, but that's not 
the medieval version where it's like, right. oh yeah, there are monsters and swords. Like, you know, you could have it where Ganon is actually like, like a kingpin, like a mob boss kind of guy. And he's kind of, you know, set himself up. So it's like, okay, you've got, you know, I mean, other people I think have done that before. I feel like I've seen fan videos where they've done that, where like, you know, it's like Zelda fight. I mean, uh, you know, Zelda and Link fighting against Ganon in like a parking garage and there are cars everywhere and stuff like that, you know? So it's like, that kind of thing but i don't know somewhere on that spectrum where it's like i don't necessarily want to see a specific game redone but but yeah set up its its own timeline that just exists within this movie or tv series but follows that idea um you know and i doubt it would ever get this big but like you know (laughs) then you could do like like with the marvel universe you could have oh this this zelda film split into two different timelines and now we could have zelda films that exist in either timeline (laughs) based on this and that you know but i i doubt it would ever get that i'd be happy with one you know just give me one zelda movie that's like you know but but like done well like done in a more like lord of the rings style as opposed Mm -hmm. to like i feel like every time we've gotten something close to that it's like quirky and silly but, you know, there's, I don't know, there's, there's like a, 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 an amazing mythology there. And that's one of the reasons I love the games, not necessarily playing them, but even just like reading about them and the story behind them. And that's why I want to play the games is to kind of flesh that story out. But yeah, like, a, there, you know, there's so much cool stuff you could do and yeah, build your own story that pulls all the pieces from the best parts, you know, and like him acquiring the different weapons. And it doesn't have to be like, Oh, well in this game, you only have these weapons. Why does he have the hook shot? If we're doing this game, it's like, no, it doesn't yeah. matter. It's just like, don't worry about it. Just, just enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I wouldn't mind another crack at the giver actually, which is a great book. And it sort of came out at the tail end of the, the hunger games, young adult fad was yeah. sort of falling off already. And I feel like they got scared because the actual film is really short. Um, the book is so good. Oh, the book's great, but the thing is, the film is also phenomenal, and it's another great kind of like the the Phantom of the Opera film versus stage, and how they use the different mediums to their advantage. Right? Mm. They did that with the Giver really well in the, the visual medium, right? But they, I feel like they got scared and then made it short. Let me see, 2014 film adaptation runtime 97 minutes. <laughs> yeah and i it loved the whole thing and then suddenly it ended and i was like where's where's the rest right the rest <laughs> maybe they got cold feet you know since the uh the fad was ending but yeah they could go back and double that runtime that'd be fine <laughs> another video game one and uh, this would be the last joust i obviously want, <laughs> want a joust movie that i'm i'm working on there's 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 machinations for a uh, screenplay i i love joust i want to see it just proliferate and just I want just merch. So the way to do that is to make a movie. <laughs> that's 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 what I've learned from Hollywood and consumerism. That's a good one. Yeah, that was a good one. And a good film. Good film, good recommendation. Thanks. Thank you, sir. That brings us around to next month where we begin the cycle anew. Joel will be our movie selector. And Joel, what will you be bringing us? The year remains 2003. Okay. That's just our, but like it, it just happened to be that. This is a really important film, I think, in how Hollywood kind of got reshaped and how franchises started to emerge. Mm-hmm. I think that this film and its success and its profiliation ubiquity after its release is a big part of why movies are the way they are now. And franchises are 
king now. And it's Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. That's 2003? That's 2003. Oh my gosh. The same year. That's weird to think about. <laughs> yep. Oh, man. How many minutes am I allowed to complain about the ride at Disneyland? <laughs> <laughs> you that's mean the be... origin? The reason that yeah. this exists? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, in, in, a, in an attempt to return to be the franchise guy, it's the art house movie guy, we can watch something with some fucking popcorn. <laughs> Tim, oh. you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Batman Forever's next, so just just get, buckle up, Buttercup. <laughs> this is going to be phenomenal. I will. I mean, you you definitely set me up. By the time we watch Batman Forever, I'll be like, oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> I would rather watch Batman Forever than Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, hot take. Oh my god! Wait, is this the first one, the Black Pearl? That's the yeah, first. Yeah, the very first one. one. I wouldn't make you watch the sequels. All right, that's going to be fantastic. Thank you, Joel. And thank you, Zeke, for bringing us Daredevil. Thank you, Tim, for joining us as always. I'm sure you're already planning your own really excellent pick. <laughs> His retaliation uh, pick. Retaliation <laughs> pick, right? I already have mine picked. I think I told you before. I won't mention it now for the recording, but I'll tell you guys later. I, yeah. I, I had it picked for a few months now. So yeah, yeah, brace yourselves. <laughs> but yeah, thank you all for joining me as always. And thank you, listeners, for joining us. Until next time, goodbye. Bye. 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 Did you know Movie Mumble has its very own Twitter account? Please follow us on Twitter at MovieMumbleNTG and tweet at us with questions, reviews, or recommendations of things you'd like us to watch next.